Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Murder Board Podcast. I'm your host, Walter. Tonight, I am joined with Cannon. Welcome back, Cannon. Thank you for having me back, Walter, especially for uh, this episode for Inception. I was very surprised when you uh, reached out for this movie and also very excited about it. So thank you for having me for this. No problem. This one's been a long time coming, and I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, On this episode, we will be discussing the movie Inception. So if you have not seen this movie this is your spoiler warning if you have i hope you enjoy our little show here but yes uh ken it's been a minute been a few episodes since we've had you back but i'm glad to have you back on um it's gonna be me and canon tonight so expect things to get a little pretentious <laughs> which <laughs> i'm excited for around a little bit you know yeah yeah expect us to go deep um but first again i just wanted so as of this episode, we are pretty much toward the end of the podcast. We only have four episodes left after this one, and that's all Stephen King stuff. So I just wanted to stamp this episode as kind of like kind of sort of the penultimate because those Stephen King episodes are just kind of run together. They're just they're all just gonna that's a whole different nerd side of me that's gonna be like, all right, guys, I got my oversized glasses, I shaved my head a little bit, I'm riding this bike. We're gonna go into Stephen King land. So all that's gonna run together as one big finale. In my mind, uh, I don't know how people, the listeners, or how everyone else is on the podcast will address that. But for me, the penultimate like finale starts here. And I wanted to start with this one because I wanted to get back to doing Christopher Nolan. Because we only did one other Christopher Nolan movie, and that was The Dark Knight. And that was way back in like 2021, or even 2020. And that was me and Javon, which was Shelton's older brother. And we had a, a really good time talking about that one. Uh, but yeah, just for context reasons uh i'm i just wanted to do a little bit of reflecting again on the podcast here canon you are one of my favorite guests to have on and honestly you're a genuine surprise and i'm so glad that you were able to be on this season so i wanted to get in your turn in your in your words and in in your you know in your term if you will i don't know how that make sense but it'll make sense yeah in my own words I get yeah in your own words how does how has it felt being on this podcast and you know what is your thoughts on the whole process here and just your experience so far well i'll say one of my favorite parts about uh both listening and being a part of the podcast is how um you dissect things like within the movies thoroughly i can say for like the rope episode you know going into the the backstory of the the true stories that the movie was based off of um you just bring a whole lot of cool little fun facts some of them way too deep for me on uh, movies and uh also just pick it apart really neatly and i really enjoy that instead of just uh although i do love you know free form kind of uh, open form is what i mean to say conversation about film i really like how uh structured but also uh, open uh, the podcast has been and I just have to say I enjoy that I mean it's just a a listener but uh, also being on the podcast it's been a whole lot of fun um, getting to uh, just talk about you know film for me uh, not a whole lot of people I get to go dive deep I guess to say into films and that uh, care so much about it so um, that's been a uh, I think very uh, fun for me, but also just like healthy to get that, get that out with somebody. And uh, so, yeah, it's been, um, 
it's been a, it's been a ride. I mean, when I look back and just kind of laugh in my head at all the different episodes I've been on, they couldn't be any more different. I believe we started with X Men Two, yes, <laughs> um, and then after that, I feel like there was another episode. Oh, we did the Flash together. Yes. Um, As of this, we, we still did. haven't released that one. <laughs> I just <laughs> okay. Well, that can that guy. That's kind of a promo, I guess, for the coming episode. Yeah, that uh, that'll come out. I just I had to skip over that one because it was three hours of editing, and I was already <laughs> behind. And I was like, I'm gonna just save this for when we get done, and then I'll just put out more episodes when we stop recording. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, no judgment here, no questioning <laughs> of your decision making. Uh, um, from dusk till dawn. Also, though. And uh, rope being the last episode, which I think was, I think was my favorite, because um, I think for a lot of like movies, you can talk about like ad nauseum for like modern movies, but since we went way way back, uh, going with the Hitchcock film that what was it late forties early fifties? Yeah, it was like um, yeah late forties. Yeah, I remembered it was like not long after World War Two what we talked about, but anyways, I. You talk about even more of a niche thing to do when it comes to film, talking with other people about it's one thing to be talking about, um, you know, the new Napoleon movie that came out or whatever is current at the moment or Oppenheimer. It's another thing to be talking about, you know, a movie from, uh, you know, 80 years ago or 70 years ago, however long it's been. But um, that was just a whole lot of fun. And to really get so much out of that movie that we feel like we wouldn't be able to relate to or, I find a lot of things about because it it's so old. I mean, that's just kind of a, a neat thing. I like going back through film history, and um, I don't know. I just thought a lot of our conversations on that podcast were um, some of my favorite um, that we've had so far. Uh, but anyways, I mean, I'm just trying to, I guess, wrap it all up, but also expand on the thought. Yeah. But uh, uh, no, it's been a um, it's been a wonderful experience, and I really do appreciate you. Uh, having me on for these uh like i said i used to do my own way back in the day uh, with a lot of friends so it's been nice to to continue that um and on this podcast and like i say i mean it's uh it's been a great time honestly yeah man and i truly appreciate you just giving me the time of day or the time of night because we do these at night but yeah. still <laughs> I did one of these in a in a fireworks tent. I mean, there's yes. some, I feel like I have some real vivid memories tied to doing this podcast and the conversations we've had. And, I mean, laughs, but also like kind of uh, going deep in the film and seeing it in different perspectives and getting to appreciate each other's perspectives. So, I mean, there's been some serious, um, deeper stuff, but also just very surface <laughs> level dumb humor. And, I mean, what can be better than those two things? exactly but, it's all about it's all about balance it's, it's been great and yeah like i said you're best you're definitely like one of my favorites this year if not i really do i meant to say i really do appreciate you yeah. saying that I and mean, that means a whole lot so uh, i know you have a lot of people on here and uh i don't get to participate a whole lot we've talked about that talking about reflecting on a big uh job change for me that's kind of affected my <laughs> my schedule yeah. a little bit uh but uh yeah, so that's why I haven't gotten to be on a whole lot. But um, yeah, I uh, I do appreciate you giving me that compliment. That means a whole lot to me. Yeah, man, it's been it's just been a great time. And so, with that being said, I want to like I said, this is kind of like a penultimate episode for me. 
And so, um, which by the way, you said you're talking about seasons left, or like episodes left in the season, correct? Yeah, episodes left in the season. Although, okay, would you believe you of the podcast? And I was like, hold up, like I know you're doing way more than this. You're not stopping <laughs> for more episodes of the podcast. It's so funny because like I began the year being like, I think this might be the final season. Because <laughs> really? one, my main reason was because I was butthurt about Riverdale being canceled and. That was a big <laughs> inspiration. That sounds like a huge thing to, that's like a big leap. Like, yeah, it was a really, so this podcast. And then, yeah, it was like, it, it is. That's an episode we also recorded. That's also over three hours long. And so that one, I just can't edit yet because I have to break up the audio before I even transfer it over because the, the systems that I use are, <laughs> it's too big of a file. I have to go in and manually break it up. <laughs> yeah. So that episode, expect that to come out at some point, probably in January. It's like, here's a bonus episode about Riverdale. Um, but yeah, it's just that was, I started off the year being like season five. We've been doing this for at least four years now. Um, you know, technically seasons one and two are just like stories that we wrote the, the podcast started off with just me writing stories and then we would voice or I would voice act them out and then the team kind of joined in later and then I was like well I like movies and I like you know movies about murder so we'll just do this instead and then we've tried to weave in the stories and stuff and then it just hasn't happened and so every ever since season three I always try to find a way to bring it back but I either start writing a story and I get like an episode or two in and then I'm like I don't know, something happens to where I just can't do it anymore. And so uh, I'm bringing this up because season six is happening. It is going to, we're going to start recording again in March of next, of 2024. And episodes will probably, will probably, blah, blah, blah. Episodes will probably be released mid-March then. I'm, I try to give myself two weeks in between for editing reasons. But one, I, I, we, you know, we've always talked about Dune uh, when, since that came out. And so that'll be like the kickoff episode for that season. I don't want to tease too much, but we are going to cover Dune and the sequel, and then that'll drive in for season six. And just just me trying to give like a little sneak peek into season six. And so season six, we're kind of not each season. I kind of view the podcast as a TV show. Um, so each season of the podcast or each round of episodes does have its own unique like through line. And so like for season three specifically, we were doing like sub genres and then. Season four, it was all about, uh, I think, characters and tone. And then so I know for this season, I was strictly like we're getting to uh, franchises and sequels that we just haven't gotten to yet. And so a large part of that was Friday the 13th and then some classics uh, like Perfect Blue and then just some other stuff that I genuinely have not experienced just yet. But also I wanted to bring back the X-Men franchise and talk about that stuff. And so large part of the podcast is just getting to a lot of classical classical a lot of classic movies that either i had seen or have not seen in a while or just kind of introducing that and so um after seeing some of the the numbers that we have done and just kind of reviewing all of that from this season i have realized that going forward next season there are going to be some changes uh, i like changes i like switching things up you know kind of in an anthology style so bear with me um but what I have coming up, folks, for season six is that we aren't going to be doing outright horror as much, but we are going to kind of stick within the bounds of the rules that I have set for this podcast, meaning any movie that deals with any kind of mystery or conspiracy or, or at least has it, 
or, or has to have at least one murder in the movie thriving throughout um, is essentially the rules of the podcast. And that's what we'll allow. And so next season, we're not going to be focused too much on horror or the horror subgenres as much. There's still going to be some in there, but we're going to venture out into mainly thriller action movies, um, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of venture out a little bit. Um, I've teased it here. I like spy movies. I like heist films and I wanted to open the world up a bit and include most of those. I like dramas as well. I think inception kind of mere <laughs> represents all of those. <laughs> and so, that's why I wanted to announce it on here officially. So that's kind of the theme of next season. Uh, we'll be just doing more thrillers, more action, more kind of conspiratorial type movies um like i said we'll we, we'll be going to space for a bit as well like i said we're doing dune and then there's some other stuff that's kind of attached to that as well um oh, i thought you were talking about fast and furious actually when you <laughs> it was on the list but it, it got booted off along with point oh. break but that also got booted off <laughs> Thank God. um but we are going to again just looking at the numbers that we did this season i realized what audiences may be may want to enjoy more of and so our popular episodes also have uh, happens to include you canon a lot of our popular episodes this year are episodes featuring you x2 um rope is and from dust to dawn are big ones uh for this season they're the ones doing really well and i'm so happy of that and so me and zaria were talking we're like we were like all right so we need to kind of just do what the people want <laughs> and so i'm like all right cool we'll do that so as far as venturing out, that's kind of my decision. And then Zarya suggested that we do more true crime. It's not, not just clump it all in July. And so most of the movies that we'll be doing next year will be kind of in the same kind of style as Rope, where there's going to be some kind of uh, real-life horror story attached to it, um, mm -hmm. some kind of true crime element. Not all of the movies that we'll – like, I, you know, again, Dune, there's, no, there's not really a, a horror story attached to that, but – you know, we'll get to something like um, Amityville Horror and Poltergeist. Those, those, you know, if you know, you know. But those have stories that are attached to that. There are real life stories, and we'll we'll touch on those. Um, uh, and quick question for you, yeah. Real fast. Considering we're on Christopher Nolan, and you're talking about expanding into, uh, you know, stuff like drama, would uh, Oppenheimer ever be something you would consider? Absolutely. I'm still fluctuating with the list, um, but Oppenheimer did is is kind of like sitting in the holding spot right now <laughs> have you seen it by the way like i as of this recording i have not still i've still okay. have not seen it okay gotcha um i'll have a cool story for that if if and when we ever do it um and the other thing i was going to say and this is just like a quick aside yeah um it could be cool for like certain episodes maybe not every episode but uh um to do like online polls uh for like if you pick out a select number of of films to watch um for like the following episode or just a certain date or whatever like uh letting the like when you talk about letting the audience decide maybe yeah literally letting them decide um could also be an option like i said just quick aside but i thought that might be a idea yeah. and you may have already had that and whatever but i just yeah, thought of that out there yeah, no, I would love to have more interaction and find a way to do that. I just need, like, a bigger system. Essentially, I just need to, like, I'm doing this all off an iPad and a, t and a computer or, like, my laptop and then my phone. And so hopefully 
Christmas rolls around and I get everything I want, um, I will be upgrading to like more of a PC style, and so that'll open yeah. my uh, myself up to doing a little bit more. But um, yeah, I definitely want more audience interaction, and you know, I don't know if I told you. I think I told you like way back, but or maybe you had this idea and I just took it. But I want to so, do like reaction stuff as well. Yeah, I think we talked about yeah. that. Um, I definitely want to try that. Um, and so yeah, season six there. We're, we're gonna be trying a lot of stuff in season six, and I'm excited. Um, less horror, more action, more true real life stuff. We are gonna try. Uh, we're gonna attempt to do reaction stuff, and then. More audience interaction is definitely always on the list. Another thing I wanted to say, um, and this is kind of what I'm really excited about. Like I said, I've been trying to get the the stories back on the podcast for so long. We haven't done one since season three, um, which is still a fun story to like listen to. But um, and I, there's some, there's a couple episodes even th- earlier this season where I snuck in like a story because I was trying it out again, and uh, I think people kind of miss it, but. I, I, you know, I, I kind of miss writing. I mean, I've been writing, but I just, I kind of miss like writing for a purpose. <laughs> and so I, I do want to get back into that. And so for season six, I am, I'm putting this on this podcast. So I have myself, so I hold myself accountable, but um, also I just want to know what you think. But uh, for season six next year, the, the idea is that each episode, instead of us kind of starting off with this kind of like, roundup news type thing which was new for this season i mean we kind of did it last year but it was mainly for this season that was the big switch up for us doing kind of more of a open talk at the beginning of the podcast um for season six i i'm planning on having each episode start off with kind of a twilight zone radio play uh style story type deal thing if that makes sense a little bit, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, it, each episode will start off with its own original story that will kind of sort of hint or connect or kind of reference the movie that we're doing or the TV show that we're covering for that episode. And then, you know me, I kind of like making things uh, as big as I can be um, as far as, like, writing goes. And so they they will be connected, uh, and, and, and they will be an overarching mystery for it. And I've had a couple things I've had in mind I had one main story that I had in mind this year. I was like, that would be really cool for the podcast. And I've just been developing it over the course of the year. But um, so, yeah, it's a daunting task because that means I would have to write daily, um, even, you know, just just to get episodes out there. But I think it's doable. Essentially, just writing a short story for every episode of the week. I can do that. I can write a short story in like, you know, five, three hours for the first draft and then like just tweak it over the over the week and then we perform it. Um, yeah, that's kind of my thing. I, I just want to like do a definite like Twilight Zone, you know, 19, what, what were they, the radio plays were popular in what, the 40s? <laughs> I think the 50s. I'm going to look that up right now. But yeah. Twilight what did... Zone uh, 1959. There yeah. you go. Start. But uh, so Ken, what do you, what do you think about that? You know, that again, it's a, it's not like a big task, but I really want to do it. Yeah. I mean, uh. I think it's kind of going to be a little bit of a trial and error thing or, you know, you uh, trying that out beforehand to make sure that's, you know, feasible for you. Mm-hmm. But as long as it is, I think that's a, a great idea. Like you said, I think that's uh, interesting to be tying into whatever we're going to be talking about in the episode. Even if it's just like a theme, I think that would be really interesting. Like uh, being that this is Inception, like an example of 
just doing something revolving around dreams. Um, you know, you could even do your own little episode of Sandman or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I think that's a, a really cool um, idea to be tying in. And I mean, it sounds like you want to be uh, writing more and that uh, people really enjoy uh, hearing the stories and doing it like a Twilight Zone you know, sort of radio thing could be really cool as well. Um, or even I always think too of if you're going to do like a radio, I think of uh, Orson Welles. Uh, yeah. His, uh, take on, um, well, the origination of uh, War of the Worlds um, and how people actually believe that was happening. Maybe not to that <laughs> extent. You know, people are pretty well prepared for uh, online fallacies, but um, I think. Uh, that would be really cool to do um, if you were, you know, narrating it and uh, doing it in that type of way. I think that would be uh, awesome. And, you know, your own stories and everything. And I think in a way to get a little deep here, it's, you're going to be, uh, like I said, if you base it on a topic or a theme and not try to get too close to the film, I think it'll allow you, it'll give you like a topic to write on yeah, and for people to chew on. But, uh, also allow you to be open with the idea too, like creative with it. Okay, here's the idea. It's something to do with dreams. And then you run with that and make your own story just based off that one thing. So I think it could be cool all around for uh, both you and the audience. I think that's a really neat idea. Yeah, man. And I obviously, I think, you know, I'm going to need, I've always wanted my own writer's room. And so I feel like this is the perfect opportunity to try that out. So (laughs) I will be asking some people, we'll be like, hey, you want to like, if I give you an outline, could you write this? <laughs> I'm gonna we're gonna do a lot of t- trial and error. Me and me and Zarya have been talking, and so obviously I'll come to those. And we have a lot of talented people on the podcast, especially this year. And so I definitely have voice actors now. <laughs> Rather than just me, Shelton, and Zarya crowding at our on a Skype call and being like, "All right, <laughs> let's read this," and hopefully it goes well. And then I mean, most of the time it did. And then, you know, at the very beginning, it's funny that you brought that up, that you were writing all stories as well, because that's literally how this podcast started. I was just really, uh, I don't know, I was a weird kid. And so, you know, coming just, I was, I, I just wrote stories anyway, but like bringing the podcast format to it, I was like, all right, guys, I put all of you in this story and I released it on the internet. And they were like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? Without our consent? And I was like, yes, listen to it. It's on Spotify. <laughs> and then boom. Yeah, I think- <laughs> I, th- I think it's something, uh, there's something to uh, being like a commentator on like um, uh, a subject sort of like such as like film or entertainment um, that I think deep down in every single one of them, uh, there's somebody who wants to write or create themselves in their own way. Oh yeah, um, definitely. So, I mean, I feel like uh, talking about it can kind of, uh, bring that out of you a little bit and i think it's just another way to to connect to that love for something same thing for like sports i think about like all the people commentating those games wish they were in that game <laughs> more than anything <laughs> yeah but uh, anyway but yeah i'm excited so we'll 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 touch back on that when the time comes i'm just that's just the new element i will bring we'll bring to the podcast and we'll, we'll and see you can finally marry the two you know oh yeah dude I love like getting like responses and stuff like that. And then like (laughs) going back and listening to it and be like, all right, so what were we doing here? (laughs) 
But it, it's great. You know, uh, expect the tone to be similar to our earlier stories. I I don't know if I have a specific style of writing. I just know that I like to write. I, it's easy for me to write mysteries. I know a lot of people are like, start from the end and go to the, the beginning. And I'm like, yeah, cool. I usually start at the very, like, I usually start in the middle of a mystery. And then I work my way kind of. And this is backwards kinda, and forwards. Yeah, like, again, just the same way kind of Christopher Nolan did Inception. But uh, yeah, just, I just I, I usually have something that's like happens like that's like the climax in the middle, and then I like work my way using both sides, and then yeah. usually it's either it's especially if I have a setting, and my thing when I was thinking about this because I was thinking like I, I'm gonna do a little bit more research, um, in the next coming weeks here because I like outlining things very very tightly, um. I was thinking a lot about Orson Welles and mainly Twilight Zone was what came to mind because that's kind of like what I know. Um, but I also like, you know, the old like Superman and Batman kind of serials. That's the that's the word I was looking for. Serials like radio serials that you would get. That's what I was thinking about. And I'm like, I definitely want it to be is for me personally is is better if I have an overarching mystery. But also I do want to have that kind of like anthology type of deal with it so it will be like there will be episodes where it's kind of like very off on its own and no like but they're they will all connect in some way and i do like having an overarching mystery with um characters that people can like relate to and i know like expect the tone to be very much similar to my other stories which usually pulls a lot from like twin peaks or uh or even like um Twin Peaks is what comes to mind for me. Like, Twin Peaks, also kind of uh, David Fincher-esque, where it's very much about, like, the people. Um, And I guess maybe Stephen King as well. Um, It's just, I just, I don't know. I like writing about uh, a community. It's kind of, like, my biggest thing that I love about Stephen King is that he, I think his best writing comes when he's working with a group of people rather than focusing on, like, one or two. And, you know, obviously David Lynch is a a master at just, I know that's more visual, but as far as like, I feel like you could take something like Blue Velvet or even Twin Peaks itself and just take out the visuals and make it audio form and it would still work. Like, that's how good I think it is. And that's kind of like where I'm looking at. But also you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, I don't, I honestly forgot what you mentioned, but I like Neil Gaiman as well. And that's kind of like how I handle mythology. (laughs) I love his version of it. What I, what comes to mind for me right now is uh, um, the Game of Thrones books. Mm. I mean, that's what I think is the biggest plus of those is that it's writing from many different perspectives. It may not be anthology like you're saying, but I think that uh, both the show and the books do the best job to me of making so many characters the main character all yeah. at once. And... Um, jumping back and forth between all those perspectives and making them all interesting. I think that's just a, a feat within itself. I mean, it's one thing to write one really interesting character, but to do it with 20 and then make all the side characters also that interesting. That's just something I think about too, is uh, I think that's uh, something that's been very understated, I think for George R. R. Martin. And also like I said, the shows themselves, but based on the book. So, yeah. And last thing I'll say, just to kind of hint at these narrative stories as of right now, um, expect a little sci-fi. I don't normally write sci-fi, but I can, like I said, I, I'm trying to, like, exercise this muscle here, like you said. So most of the stories might end up being more sci-fi inspired. And we're, we are doing a lot more sci-fi-like films next year, um, along with the action stuff. And so 
you know, they'll probably have that same kind of tone. I think that I think that's a great idea, though. I, just kind of working with yeah. whatever tone of the movie is. But yeah, that's, I think because yeah. it's just in tradition of like radio plays. Normally, most of them were kind of like sci-fi anyway. <laughs> yeah, and, and I was going to say that. I mean, there's not like there's a lack of uh, sci-fi horror or sci-fi mystery too. So uh, yeah, I think that should be a a great space to explore. I think as far as writing and stories go. We've... I mean, it intrigues me. I don't even know what the story is yet, but I'm already wanting to, to hear it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like I said, we'll we'll probably I'm gonna form a writer's room, and you're like you're definitely on the list. I'll, I'll, we'll we'll talk about it when I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let my people talk to your people. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll work out a deal. <laughs> okay, um, that's what's that's kind of our, my big sneak peek into season six. Um, right now the big like title is investigating cinema. Kind of hopping on that. Martin Scorsese versus cinema, <laughs> real oh, cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, yeah, versus. Well, I kind of feel like everyone's against Disney Marvel right now, but um, yeah, I, I feel like next season we're we're definitely gonna tap into that whole conversation just because I feel there's a big tipping point about to happen, and we need. I think to it's talk. already happened. My personal opinion. But really, <laughs> I think it's. I mean, I think I things think are like heating up. Marvel, yeah, but I think just as far as like what films are uh, maybe not all of them are like financially succeeding, but I think some of the biggest and best films of the year have been uh, just like original stories or yes. Uh, like I say, I think of like a Barbenheimer instance, but that was like a meme within itself. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, there's been two movies this year that I've given a perfect score to and that being Oppenheimer and I just saw the holdovers for the second time with Paul Giamatti Ooh, I want to and, see that one uh, so bad yeah both of them too I think real fast but what's added an aspect for me and it's almost like uh, spiritually um, film has like come back but also like <laughs> literally film so I saw Oppenheimer like a week before the release date um, with a girl that I've it was mentioned earlier that I've been talking to and it was our first date and she won us tickets to go see it at the only place in Tennessee that, um, had it on 65 millimeter. Ooh. And, uh, so we got to see it there. It was actually a theater up in Opry mills that, uh, Christopher Nolan himself paid to have renovated. Yes. So that was really cool. Um, cause it was the only theater in Tennessee that could, could play it and he wanted it to be the best environment for it. but anyways got to see that on film and the funny part for me was uh, during like the silent moments of that movie i could hear like the clicking of the film reel like it was fairly loud when things were all quiet in the movie and i had to sit there and remind myself oh yeah i'm watching this <laughs> on film. i was hearing it and i was like this is a part of the sound design at first i was like this is interesting and then i was like oh no that's what i'm literally hearing in the theater i was just never used to having that before um and also i, I mean that. it was an imax too so the sound was incredible but also with the holdovers it was the same way it was, i didn't realize till i saw it opening night that uh it was one of four places i believe in america yeah uh, that were playing it on film um and early so um it was really cool um to see both those on film and i, I don't know if that added like the aspect for me that pushed it over the edge but um um, even movies like the the Covenant this year with Guy Ritchie, who's one of my favorite filmmakers, uh, was incredible. Like Barbie smashed the box office, and 
I mean, even though it was a superhero movie, I think Guardians uh, 3 was uh, really great. Uh, I don't know. I think that post-pandemic, this has been, I guess, the most regular year, quote-unquote, like <laughs> pre-pandemic year. Yeah, uh, I agree with and that. I just think there's a lot of originality back in the film. So when going back to the whole Scorsese versus Marvel and what's not cinema sort of conversation. I do think it's kind of been like a return to form uh, for film recently. And who knows if that stays around or what, but uh, yeah, uh, we, um, let me think about what I'm saying. We, me and Zarya and uh, I think it was one of these episodes. I think it was when we did Scooby-Doo, we were talking about it. We talked about it briefly, but basically, you know, the, when the strikes ended, we were like, okay, I said that I'm expecting there to be like we're we're probably gonna see another good streak of like bangers of film. Uh, I mean, honestly, again, going back to Inception here, like two thousand from like two thousand what eight, really two thousand five, but like from two thousand eight through twenty like sixteen ish to well, really twenty eighteen in, in my opinion, that was like a good streak of like post again writer strike here's what cinema can look like and then below that was like oh tv is now also evolving i feel like we're gonna get another version of that and but it's just gonna be it's gonna be really weird i think movies are definitely going to get a big shift again and i think we're gonna end up because of the whole barbenheimer thing and just um how like superhero movies are kind of going right now but also like you said there's a lot of more original stuff i i do think we're going to get a lot of original movies that are going to be very huge as we move forward the next at least the next like five years and i do think franchises are still going to be profitable but i think we're going to get a big uptick and like you know i think we're going to get more movies like her if that makes sense and like yeah. the poem. i mean i think of movies like every uh everything everywhere all at once yeah like yeah best example of that's uh, how catch the culture uh, by uh, the ear, by the eyes, but also uh, being super original as well. Like, you know, I hear a lot about the holdovers and this weekend, uh, hopefully I get a chance, but I'm definitely trying to see Saltburn. And I just I think we are going to get a big uptick probably through the, the with the charge leading the charge with uh, with a 24 and uh, probably neon again. But like we're going to get a big uptick on like original big like I don't want to say big budget, but like original big movies, if that makes sense. Like kind of, again, the same kind of thing we saw during this period with Inception and like um, just because I was looking at like clips. <laughs> it was back when like, you know, uh, what was it? James Franco and Anne Hathaway when they hosted the Oscars and when Hugh Jackman hosted the Oscars. Like those, like, you know, people trashed those performances, at least those hosts, but like the movies they were presenting that year are like still well-beloved and were pretty awesome. Like I just, that whole industry, I think we're going to get a, a newer version, a more digital version of that. And then I'm also, I like to keep my eye on television and I'm, I just, honestly, I do hate the way television is working right now. As far as like general audiences go, I lean more towards the younger audience, but I do think television is also going to get a big uptick, but in a different way it's we're probably going to end up gearing back towards kind of older styles of television but 
still keeping that more digital. I think streaming is not going anywhere. Streaming is probably going to get only power. That's what I was going to say is that like, as far as the, you're talking about the changes to television and movies uh, in the last decade, and you talked about the rise of streaming. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the, the toughest thing in my mind still. And I think that's what the pandemic gave us a taste of. And I don't think we've stopped doing it is I think general audiences nowadays, most of the time would prefer to wait to see it when it comes out uh, at home rather than go out and see a movie. I still yeah. think that's something that uh, is my biggest, I guess, worry. Um, but I think that's only going to be for, as far as like time movie for, I think that's going to be relegated to just franchises and sequels. Like I feel like a lot but of I mean, like even like stuff like Oppenheimer, a lot of people, even though I think it is going to be a completely different movie at home yeah. rather than seeing it on the biggest screen with the best sound. Um, and even like something like Dune, for instance, there's a lot of those great movies that come out that are going to be way different at home and people are just fine, like waiting to see those or even a John Wick or a Super Mario Brothers, which also came out this year. There's a lot of movies that I know. Garfield. (laughs) Yeah. They're not going to, uh, I think it's spend the money. I mean, because when you think about it, honestly, and I had this thought recently that a lot of people will complain about the prices of of streaming services, which have only gone up over the years. And there's only been more. Yeah. And there's only been more uh, streaming services as well. So more things to pay for and higher prices. But um, when you really think about it, like each streaming service costing uh, about the price of a ticket and maybe a little bit more than going to see one movie, unless you're on, you know, like an AMCA list sort of thing. But again, for general audiences, that's very cheap to be able to have a limitless amount of entertainment, um, no matter what the streaming service is more than you could watch in a lifetime um you know all for the price of like a ticket a month pretty much so i think that's something that until streaming services do become more and more expensive or movies become more exclusive but even then i think it's like trying to force people back out to theaters rather than you know just investing in their own home theater and having streaming services and being able to just watch it months later. I just don't know if the excitement a lot of the time of going to see a movie when it comes out uh, to sharing that experience with everybody else is, uh, again, I just question whether that's still important to people like it was in the height of Marvel in the last 10 years, yeah, you know, like going it. to see Avengers, like going to see that in theaters and multiple times and just talking about it with everybody and that being all the excitement and the rave, um, I just don't know if people will want to share that. I don't know. It's interesting, especially when you think about generations growing up with streaming. You know, it's yeah. different for people who can remember the times before that. Uh, but people who grow up with it and are uh, spoiled with it, for lack of a better term, um, just don't know how they'll feel. It's almost like what well, they see going to out to the theaters as old timing or something that you rarely do. It'll become an aesthetic, though. <laughs> Knowing Gen Z. Yeah, for me, aesthetic. It'll always be, at the very least, it'll be a niche thing to do. Yeah. Instagram will be popping in a couple of years because of this. <laughs> because... Yeah, I just know friends that have even watched, like, full-on movies on TikTok, and that's just, like, Which is you know, insane completely insane to me. Yeah, uh, or on Twitter as well, or X. Um, but, yeah, I just think that's, uh, that's a completely different mindset. I, 
I see it as a lack of appreciation for what you're watching. I guess it does depend on what you're watching at the end of the day. But it's not like I've never watched anything on my phone. It's just that's not my preferred method of yeah. watching anything. Um, Same here. This is where this is where we plot the cigars and we get our Martin Scorsese t-shirts. And this is exactly what I want to touch on. Yeah, I think that's kind of what the fight is really between, <laughs> yeah. honestly. It's not Martin Scorsese and real cinema. It's... Uh, it's it's just people who have a, a true love and appreciation or, or a deeper love and appreciation than most people and most people not caring about you know what is cinema and that almost seeming just like a a meme you know but anyways yeah but um could be a whole murder mystery episode you know exactly <laughs> and i feel that <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I, I recently saw the newest uh, Mission Impossible, and I was like, you know, if there's one thing that we can count on for cinema is that Tom Cruise is going to do the, all he can to save movies, and that's. I do. I mean, he's been <laughs> one of the biggest contributors in that movie. I think real fast. Yes. Aside, that that was one of the best um, takes on AI I think I've ever Dude, seen. The scariest. Never... <laughs> yeah, I was terrified. Like it felt for real, like. And one of my favorite movie openers, the more I think about it, like just that whole opening scene was like, it just grabbed me. And when I really thought about it, there's only like five sequences in that whole movie. It's almost three hours long. I never got bored once. Like, <laughs> Right. The entire movie is just five sequences and like 10 conversations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and was... the rest of it is like hilarious on its own or exciting or just some of the wildest stuff, like edge of your seat stuff. And yeah. I. I, I appreciate. It. We'll we, we'll get the Mission Impossible next. Opposite year. of the uh, opposite of Fast and Furious, by the way, where the more they make, the worse it gets. Like I really do feel like it's the more they make, the, the better it gets. I don't know. I, I liked where they left off with the last one. I was like, oh shit. Going with Fast and Furious or Fast and Furious? Yeah. Oh no. Okay. Well, miss me on those podcasts because I'll be trashing them the whole time. Oh man, yeah. I I like I like Fast X a lot actually. Um, (laughs) anyway, uh, but like, okay, well, we'll, this is a to be continued again, a good sneak peek at what we got coming up. Um, we are going to take a short break. Um, but last thing I will say is that if there's anyone that can get anyone, if there's anyone that can bring people back to theaters, obviously, and apparently it's, you know, Beyonce or, Taylor Swift with a concert <laughs> movie. Concert films, man. <laughs> because holy crap, uh, that was so unexpected. And I, I watched the Marvels, and right next door was a Taylor Swift thing, and like they were jamming. They were jamming. I've heard they... about people like FaceTiming friends in the middle of the movie or taking videos like on their Snapchats and singing along. Like they really yeah. treated it like they were at a concert. I don't know if they really thought they were. Full on dancing, full on crying. Yeah, they are. They are taking it very seriously. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay, but where were y'all when the Jonas Brothers and Hannah Montana did the same thing back in like 2007? But you know, that's just me. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying if somebody like a like a Kendrick Lamar or a Tame Impala, I'm thinking of a lot of different artists. I would definitely go see if they dropped a movie in theaters, dude. But I'm not going to stand up or sing along or any of that. So I would just be sitting there in awe, probably with goosebumps but uh yeah yeah i guess it's a white girl thing i mean <laughs> it's a girl thing 
Oh boy, but I'm glad that it's, I'm glad people are going to theaters. If that makes sense, you know, <laughs> at least that's happening. But if that's the future of theaters, then let them burn. That's, <laughs> my, that's my take. When you said that, I just imagined Michael Cage, <laughs> Michael Cage standing there. I'm in just want to watch the world burn. It all comes back to Christopher Nolan tonight, whether we intend to or not. Oh yes, definitely. But yeah, let's take our first break, and then we're gonna talk about. We're going to talk about our top five Nolan movies first, and then we're going to talk about the movie Inception. When we're asleep, our mind can do almost anything. Such as? Well, imagine you're designing a building, right? You consciously create each aspect. But sometimes it feels like it's almost creating itself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah like I'm discovering it. Genuine inspiration, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in a dream, our mind continuously does this. We create and perceive our world simultaneously and our mind does this so well that we don't even know what's happening that allows us to get right in the middle of that process how by taking over the creating part now this is where i need you you create the world of the dream we bring the subject into that dream and they fill it with their subconscious how could i ever acquire enough detail to make them think that it's reality well dreams they feel real while we're in them right It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Let me ask you a question. You you never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? Well, we just came from the, uh... Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Where are you right now? dreaming you're actually in the middle of the workshop right now sleeping this is your first lesson in shared dreaming stay calm We're back. We're going to talk about Inception. But first, let's talk a little bit about Christopher Nolan. Gannon, I want to get your thoughts on this director. Um, People out there who know me, this is my favorite director, working director as of right now. Um, But also my favorite director of all time. I love Christopher Nolan. I like the way he directs and films things and the way he uh, tells his stories, um, his characters and stuff. There is room for criticism. He's not really, really... He's not really good at female characters too much, but I do think the stories he tells are very cool and remain kind of timeless. And that's kind of his whole deal of just being timeless. Um, but yeah, what are you, what's your thoughts on Christopher Nolan? I mean, definitely without a doubt, one of the best living directors today. Um, and I think you could even um, count past generations of directors who are still around like a Scorsese for me or uh, a Tarantino uh, I put them in that top tier category uh, for for filmmaking and I think he only continues to impress more and more I mean he's all over the place when you look at his movies it reminds me a little bit of a, a Kubrick with um, doing like a sci-fi like Interstellar would be like Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. And then you have films like Oppenheimer, like an historical epic. And then 
Tenet, which is playing with time, and then Inception playing with reality, and you have the Dark Knight trilogy, which is it's got to be up there for one of the best movie trilogies of all time, and Dark Knight being one of the top movies of all time. I mean, he's got he's got so many movies that I think you have to put in you know the top a hundred films uh, or so of all time, and maybe even higher for a lot of people. I think he uh, I think he hits the mark between being uh, pleasing for like general audiences, but also if you are a film nerd, then you can dive a lot deeper into his films and look at the deeper meanings but i think you can also not do that and still love the movies a whole lot and maybe not even know why i just uh i think that he's kind of a hybrid uh director in that way and i think he um you know he does well financially so again that shows how well he does with general the general public and he's one of the few directors younger directors today the you can see his name pop up and a lot of people are going to get excited just because it's a Christopher Nolan movie. And I think that's something that's died off, but uh, Christopher Nolan keeps that alive uh, in an awesome way. And I think, I mean, I'm like that. I mean, for any of his movies, I've been excited. And even some of his earlier films like Insomnia, which I'm not the biggest fan of, I think it's very interesting. Um, also doing with sleep, by the way, in a totally, <laughs> a totally different way. But, um, yeah, I mean, stuff like, uh, I think Memento being his first, like, feature-length um, studio film, quote-unquote, after, like, the following, which was, like, an independent film he made himself. But um, I think Memento is something that can still be really appreciated, the filmmaking of that, um, even how low-budget it was. he It was more the fact of the way that the story unfolded in a non-linear way and doing it in his own way. Um and kind of making that a part of the character in itself. I don't know. There's so many different levels to Nolan and all of his movies. And I think you can see that from early on, how intelligent of a director and writer that he is along with his brother, even maybe thinking about movies like prestige or all types of things that I think uh, that you can, I think you can really only say good things about him. I think the one chip in his armor uh, recently has been like tenant. Um, a lot of people, don't i don't think enjoy that movie that much uh i i really think too it had a bad timing on its release yeah uh, being one of the few movies that came out during the year of the pandemic in 2020 uh, i still really enjoy that movie myself but uh i could see where people could get lost in it and i think that's i guess there are some things you could say like that that he's such a fast-paced director uh, one thing you can say in this movie or an interstellar or a tenant, uh, maybe even a little bit in Oppenheimer is that he loves to explain a lot of things in dialogue within the movie, like explaining the movie to the audience and doing that very fastly. Like the whole example in interstellar of how space time works. Um, mm -hmm. he can be sometimes a little bit too much over people's heads, but, uh, I do, I do, uh, respect how he, doesn't try to dumb it down for his audience and, you know, treats the general public like they're intelligent um, people that can figure it out for themselves. So, yeah, I think that Christopher Nolan is, like I said, up there with like even a Paul Thomas Anderson would be another one that I would put in that category of the the directors that kind of keep my hope alive for the future, I think, of, of film. When directors like a Scorsese are on their way out or a Quentin Tarantino coming out with his last movie, apparently, which I do believe that myself. Um, 
there are some younger directors that are just kind of getting started and flexing their muscles. I mean, Ari Aster has been one a lot of people get excited about. Uh, Robert Edgar uh, being another one as well. Um, I don't know. I think there's uh, there's something to be said about uh, he him getting like people excited for for movies and always keeping it original in its own way, even with something like a Batman where there's been a lot of iterations and one of the most popular fictional characters in the world, but he does his own spin on it and um, makes it, I think he grounds a lot of things too, which something from like an interstellar to this or Batman, it makes it all feel like, Hey, this could really happen or with a Dunkirk or Oppenheimer and actually has happened. Um, he has like a foot in both fantasy and realism. I don't know that I could go on for, we could probably do, audio essays for the next week on christopher nolan i think so yes <laughs> i'll just say he is uh having him as your favorite director I, I don't think anybody could ever knock you for that at all and uh he's one of those that i think is definitely up there for me i think there's a lot of nostalgia held for me for for tarantino but um i could argue that he would be in my in my top three as far as directors of all time yeah man yeah i just when i try to like think about my favorite directors like you know i do talk a lot about wes craven but the guy the guy has really good ideas <laughs> he's a really good uh director and ideas but like wes craven's filmography is pretty more missed than hit but um and then like i we haven't talked about david fincher in a long one because i kind of bring a lot of david fincher in one of the past seasons of the podcast so i took a big old break but it would really be between like David Fincher or Christopher Nolan as like battling my top spot with like Tarantino kind of like hovering in the third, and then maybe maybe you would probably put in like and Denny Denny Villeneuve. He's interesting. Um, and would, he's one of those that I would put in that category of like yeah. I still feel like they're getting started. Like if they've yeah. only been around like a decade or less and are still putting out their best stuff like i feel like they're evolving and yeah, yeah he would be one that i think is to be excited if about. i'm being like really honest luca, luca guadagnino is probably the one for me anywho though christopher nolan i i i love everything you said and i agree with everything you said and there's some some things that made me like tick my ears a bit um but yeah i just i love christopher nolan he's just the guy yeah he's he's just it's just amazing i do as i've like um gotten older and as i've or i I won't say gotten older as i've kind of been more acquainted with his movies and rewatching them and then watching the movies he's usually um influenced by within his films the guy um (laughs) i kind of like i kind of watch people's reactions for certain things like if me and shelton are talking about the dark knight i'm like yeah, but have you seen da 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 da? And he'll be like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, if you just watch those movies, that's basically the same thing." <laughs> and he's like, "What?" Um, I just kind of like that whole reaction. I know that's kind of like maybe an asshole type of deal, but like he he does kind of he does a good bit of sampling that I've noticed in these recent years. Um, in the same kind of way as Tarantino, in my opinion, just not as overt. Sometimes you know he doesn't really showcase it, but like even watching inception i'm like okay these are like straight up like scenes from like certain movies that i love but it doesn't ever take away from his films um but i I love the guy so for this podcast i asked you to pull out your your top five 
Chris Nolan movies. Um, but before we do that, do you have like an absolute favorite and do you have an absolute least favorite? I think my favorite's kind of up in the air. It's kind of like a, uh, an age old favorite versus maybe a little bit of recency bias, <laughs> which I'm sure people can infer, but Dark Knight and Oppenheimer are my only two films that are um, on my like perfect 10 list for myself, um, which okay. I think I have more than most people probably like 20 something maybe 30 at this point of all time but uh i don't know i mean i came out of oppenheimer thinking about it so much and deeply that i probably had more thoughts on oppenheimer than i have most movies i've ever seen uh and dark knight is just i mean it's got my favorite um villain in general um in a film of all time and i think the the story's told so well uh so many different themes within that or morals to take from that movie as well. I do think Oppenheimer after seeing it, if I see it for a second time, um, which I'm sure I will, uh, I think I'll be able to judge a little bit better, but those two would be fighting for the top spot for me. Um, so not really a clear favorite. My least favorite Nolan movie. That's kind of tough. Because they're all so uh, good. Yeah. yeah, like I said, I even really enjoyed <clears throat> Tenet. I think just because of the the concept and more of the filmmaking too, of thinking like, how in the world did they shoot all this, and how does he come up with this? And I don't know, just the concept and the execution uh, fascinated me. I mean, if I have to go with one, it might be. I honestly feel like it would either be, <laughs> and this is not saying they're bad movies at all, I, I guess Insomnia actually would be my least favorite, but I also don't think uh, he had a hand in writing that movie. Yeah. I think he just directed it, um, so it's hard to say it's a full-on Christopher Nolan movie, but if I had to say one that he had a hand in both on, um, it would either be Batman Begins or, or Dark Knight Rises, and I lean towards Batman Begins um, okay. myself. Probably that's that's tough. I mean, like you said, they're all good. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So from there, okay, I'll say, okay, for me, you you've seen. I'm clearly. I'm assuming you've seen all of his movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I know I'm just like springing questions on you. What was the if you can remember? What's the first one you saw? Like your first Christopher Nolan movie? Uh. It, probably it would have been batman begins uh when me my dad and my brother visited chicago um it was like the night before we were about to leave and uh which is kind of funny now i'm thinking about it because i actually believe that gotham is based on chicago yeah i was about to say chicago is one of nolan's favorite like u.s cities (laughs) yeah i never really thought about it till this moment like yeah that's where i saw it um but uh yeah the three of us went and saw it i have vague memories of seeing it for the first time like i I mean it would have been oh 2005 i think so i would have been like nine years old or possibly eight um dating myself a little bit when that movie came out (laughs) um so yeah that would have been the first i saw um I do remember going to see Inception as well in theaters with my dad. Oh, okay. And uh, and walking out and me having the biggest like smile on my face and being so excited and amped about it. 
And my dad just kind of had a, a smirk, and he was just kind of shaking his head at the ending. He's like, I loved it, aside from <laughs> he hated how ambiguous it was. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, those would probably be the first two that I really remember. I mean, Dark Knight, also seeing in theaters. Um, that's like my dad's favorite movie of all time. He's seen that movie an ungodly amount of time. Like, it's probably as much as I've seen Django. Like, uh, like probably at least 30 times, I would say. I love that. <laughs> um... But yeah, so I mean, those kind of Batman movies, I didn't didn't see the prestige until later on, kind of once I started to become like a, a big fan of Nolan and we started going through all of his movies. Memento was one of the earlier ones I saw too. But anyways, all the way back to the beginning, it would have been Batman Begins. All right. Yeah. For me, um, so I have, I like you, I have vague memories of Batman Begins and not in theaters. Um because I want to say it was like 2006. It was already like on TV. And I was over at Cousin's house. It had to be a year later. And they were showing it on TV. I have vague memories of seeing Batman Begins. So technically that's the one. But I was never like paying attention to it. The first one I would say that I saw in full of Christopher Nolan would be The Dark Knight. But again, so when it came out, I, I I did not see it in theaters. When it came out, I was excited because it was Batman and I was a child and I was reading comic books. So I knew who Batman was. Had not seen Batman Begins at this point in time. But my oh. parents were like, my dad and my mom were like, yo, we're going to have a date night. So you're going to watch your little brother. And I'm like, all right, what are y'all doing? He's like, we're going to a movie. I'm like, oh, I want to go. And they're like, nah, it's a grown-up movie. And I'm like, what are you seeing? The Dark Knight. And then they shut the door. And I'm like, wait, that's not a grown-up movie. <laughs> and so I was so butthurt for like a year. And then um, so I saw The Dark Knight a little later on on DVD. And I sat by myself and watched it. And I was like, Batman. I didn't fully understand it. I was still a child. Like I, w- I was like a kid. And so... I'm trying to like make this as simple as possible. So my first time watching and understanding a Nolan movie and having that experience that you would get from watching a movie for the first time was Inception. Um, I, again, I didn't see it in theaters, but my same parents, um, they came home. My dad, they, we, we, used, ah, we used to go to Redbox all the time. And so they Inception was one of the movies that they got from Redbox popped it in and we all sat as a family me and my brother my mom and my dad sat in our den in east nashville watched it and i remember my brother falling asleep i remember my mom my dad arguing about the ending because they have they're very vocal people um my dad um he has kind of the same kind of passion for movies that i have but and he's less calm about it if you (laughs) i should say and so if he believes that something in the movie that happened a certain way and that's how he understands it he will make people understand that that is the way um to understand it and my my mom is the exact opposite she's like no 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 here's like three other ways that could have gone and so i remember they i remember specifically the ending of inception i'm sitting there with like my eyes just not blinking because my mind was blown but these two were in the background arguing about the ending and how like to perceive it <laughs> and my dad was like it's not real he's dreaming still my mom, my stepmom was like no he's in the real world did you not see the kids and i'm like who is this christopher nolan <laughs> This guy you, you're screaming about right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so that is, Inception is definitely the first one. And then I 
I would not venture out into his full on. I wouldn't go full on obsession mode until my junior year of high school. Um, so this would have been around the time Interstellar is coming out. Oh, wait, no, Interstellar was 2012. So what was? Wait, no, Interstellar wasn't 2012. Was that was Inter- later. That was 2015. Oh, 2015. Okay, so yeah, yeah. 2014. So yeah, yeah. My sophomore, junior year of high school, the hype of Interstellar. At this point, I was listening to podcasts, and so the podcast I was listening to did a whole like Christopher Nolan retrospective. And so at this point, I have seen the Dark Knight trilogy but I don't think I fully understood it outside of like Batman comics. And so mm-hmm. following the podcast I was listening to, I started with the following or following, not the following, but following and just went straight on, on my own, found all these movies, bought it if I needed to streamed it all on my phone, probably my little iPhone, what six at this point. And at that point I was like, I understand Christopher Nolan. And then I watched interstellar and I was like, Oh, <laughs> and so if we were talking about least favorites, Interstellar is definitely like my least favorite. I need to watch it again because I only saw it twice. Um, and I did not see it in theaters again. Um, I, I keep bringing that up because I have not seen Christopher Nolan movies in theaters except for two. <laughs> and <That hurts>. uh, <laughs> I just I think it's just the generation I'm in. I just I was never able to. Um, until I got older. And by the time I got older, it was just, um, I'll, I'll explain it. But again, short, long story short, I can't understand him on my own. It was the first kind of like director I really like focused in on and made myself understand what was happening, who he was, how he directed his movies. And then since then I've been kind of like backtracking and watching movies that inspired his films. And that's how, that's how I became such a kind of a fan of Michael Mann. And so it is through Christopher Nolan that Michael Mann is also in like the top like 25 favorite directors for me. Um, and so that's kind of like my whole thing. So yeah, Interstellar is kind of the least favorite of mine. I'm just not that big of a space person. And so I need, I understood it, but it's really the, <laughs> the ending kind of gets to me a lot. And I just, I think it's just a very like, drab movie even for christopher nolan but i understand that was like a big passion project for him so again i just need to watch it again but what I do just, you think what, what, what was what about the ending did you not like if you don't mind me asking it's you know it's the whole thing that's become a meme at this point but the whole like love is the answer and you know i i think the the twist is cool but the whole fact of like emphasizing that love is the element that will never fade away in space or time and it's like all right but the earth is dying I mean, still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, his his uh his daughter figured out some stuff uh, about an escape plan for that. Um, yeah, which maybe she needed him to. I, guess. I mean, she kind of did need him to leave so he could um, uh, message her <laughs> some yeah. answers about some things. But what I was gonna say was, I mean, as cheesy as it does sound, I mean, that is that rings true for me. When the more I think about it, I do think that's. It sounds simple, but I do think it's a little deeper. The fact that neither space nor time can can affect like love being like a different force within itself. Yeah, um, which is probably but, why I, mean, I need to re. I definitely be like I've been telling myself I need to rewatch this movie before I really give because I don't have real real opinions on it. <laughs> I watched it when it came out um, again on DVD, so like relatively close to when it came out. I watched it twice, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not feeling this one as much. And so it's, I haven't yeah, watched it no, since. I get that. 
So now that I'm I a lot think older, it's a bit of a polarizing yeah. movie too, because I know I know people that it's like their favorite movie in general of all time. Like yeah, yeah. I know someone who's I like, like uh, so I mean, I get it. Yeah, I know someone who like lived and died, or who lives and dies by that soundtrack, and I'm like, really, that one? <laughs> yeah, that soundtrack is incredible. The Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan together is just like, I don't know. But I will say thank you, Freena Stella, for introducing us to the world. Introducing the world to Timothy Chalamet. That is something I will never, ever be not thankful for. Um, with that being said, top five Nolan movies. What What's yours? Um, I still think I have to for right now. Hmm. Nah, I'm just so caught in between, man. I'm actually going to go in this moment, in this very moment, I'm going to say Oppenheimer number one. Mm. I want to say Dark Knight number two. Um, Memento would probably be number three for me. Uh, I think because of the, the indie aspect. If it has has one of those feelings that like as long as you have uh, a, a really interesting and like grand idea, um, you can go out and film that movie really with Memento. You just have to have a vision. Yeah, because uh, again, the editing style and the whole idea of that movie, like, very cool, very creative, and also again, shot for a little budget. I think that's something that has always captured me about that movie. I guess it's just the inner, very small filmmaker in me that uh, thinks that's fascinating. Um, whew. Uh, for number four, I'm gonna say <laughs> I don't know. You just, we just talked about it, but it probably would be Interstellar for me. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of the excitement for that movie led up um, for that for me and my mind just being blown throughout the whole thing. And when I was talking about the, the music and that and uh, the visuals and again, I, I guess there is a, I do, it's not that I just love sci-fi, but one of my favorite classes I ever took was on astronomy and learning about space time and all of those sort of ideas that. Um, if we had a big telescope that could look across the galaxy, what's happening in front of our eyes has already happened you know, a long time ago when they talk about the light from stars and just the distance of all that. I think it just fascinates me so much. And the fact that he, again, trying to make it at least somewhat grounded, um, I don't know. I, just, I would I'll defend that movie, but it's not my favorite. But lastly, I would say Inception, probably at number five. And that could even take the place of Interstellar at four. It's a very fluid list, but... Uh, Ooh, okay. um, even after rewatching Inception, um, I was even more impressed. I think some of the things I just kind of took for granted because I remember seeing them for the first time and I was kind of living in that. But the more I just like tried to watch the movie for what it was and like it was the first time mostly, um, there were some things that blew my mind all over again with the movie, um, which we can get into. But I, I think I've discovered a, even a newfound love. And like I said, could definitely move up the list on. Um, my top five just based off this watch all right man all right so great great list i i love it <laughs> and so i'm nervous about mine <laughs> no don't be all right so my top five going from i don't want to go top to bottom or bottom to top uh okay i'm gonna go i'm gonna go top to bottom my number one surprise surprise is Inception. Inception's my my top. I think it's still his best film um as far as writing and directing goes. Um 
and I'll give, you know, we'll, we're going to talk about the movie here in a sec. So I'll give my full on thoughts about that. But yeah, Inception's number one. Number two, it is The Dark Knight. I think The Dark Knight is damn near perfect. Um, really, it's just that. <laughs> that whole villain plot of the third act, it really gets to me sometimes. <laughs> it's just like, you know, because all the hype is in the middle of the movie. And then it goes down to like the final test. And it's a boat battle <laughs> one boat needs to blow up the other that's always gotten to me you can listen to that podcast i still feel the same so but it's just damn near perfect movie damn near perfect batman adaptation um however i do i do think and i think i've declared this but i do think the the batman has kind of taken my number one batman movie from the dark knight so it's kind of sitting at number two but the dark knight is still a great film um number three I wonder how you feel about this because you have not mentioned this one at all. But Dunkirk. Dunkirk's my number three. I love Dunkirk. I I really do uh, like Dunkirk a whole lot as well. Um, I I just think it... it, um, I don't know if it was the editing or what to say. Maybe it was just the storytelling. But there were just some dull moments in the transition. Maybe like I was supposed to be feeling very down, you know, because of what's happening in the movie yeah. is not the brightest. Um, but even, I guess the way it was uh, laid out in the story, I would kind of get lost in the sauce, I guess, to say on what was going on in each place at each time. So it took me to see it a second time for me to really appreciate it, which I feel like is a common theme when we talk about <laughs> Nolan movies is like watching Inception for the second time. You have a completely different outlook on the movie. The rewatchability for him is so high. And the same thing, even for like an interstellar, like knowing what happens in the end, let me go back to the beginning. And yeah. Now I'm seeing the movie in a whole different way. And I think that's something we haven't pointed out yet, but something to really appreciate about his movies. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah. That, I mean, I, I do really like Dunkirk. It just like I said, took me a rewatch for sure. And so this is the one where I kind of sort of saw in theaters. I sat, so I used to work at a movie theater. And so we saw movies for free. I think I got to work early and I sat down and watched about a good, like 45 minutes before I had to go to work, like clock in. And so it was that like whole time I was like, oh my God, this movie's amazing. I like the sound. I love how loud it is. I love the visuals of it. I love how it's pretty much like a silent movie for most of it. And I really like the actors. Like again, Barry Keoghan, this is my first time seeing him and like just falling in love and just uh like Harry Styles is an actor apparently and he's also briefly in this movie. It's also pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Just like uh what feeling whitehead just again like where's Tom Hardy cuz that was the whole like uh campaign of like Tom Hardy's in this movie but you got to find him and same <laughs> same with uh with uh, Michael Caine, and it was like, what, what's going on in this movie? But again, it's very, out of all his movies, it is very dark. <laughs> There's a lot of dark stuff that happens, but I love, yeah. love everything about it. I, so from watching it in theaters, again, I didn't finish it, so I had to wait for it to be available on pretty much for streaming. And uh, so I think I rented it on Apple and then watched it on my iPad because I wanted the same kind of experience. But at the time, I only had an iPad. And I was up at like what three? This is this is the same night, so it's a weird night. But I love going back to this. But it was like um, I stayed up late on purpose, and I watched Dunkirk, Killing of a Sacred Deer, and then Call Me by Your Name all in one night. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so this Dunkirk was the first one I watched, and I was like, this is amazing. So, yeah, that one's taking my number three. Number four, I was really, like, really debating, and it came down to three movies for my number four. Um, but because uh, this is another one I did end up seeing in theaters. So this, this is the technically, if, if we're talking about first Nolan movie in full I saw in theaters, it's Tenant, And so Tenant kind of takes my number four spot. <laughs> I did, you know, bust out there in the in the middle of the pandemic with my like you know i was kind of dressed as caliban and logan with all the wraps around me and the the mask and everything and i saw it um and not gonna lie it's a very like long movie but i i liked it i was like cool this is my kind of like way of explaining time travel although he doesn't explain too much which is kind of like how i like it um it's kind of like you know his i'm like finally he's doing his bond thing and so he gets to that point i understand a lot of the criticism about the movie though um but i still really liked it like i think the movie works and it's uh it's one of his more again it's long but it's kind of breezy if that makes sense like you can still kind of like watch it and so tenant to me has kind of become relegated to being within the same category as like Batman begins where it's like you can put this movie on in the background and while you're doing something else, you can have it playing loudly. You know, if you're like cleaning up or anything, this is one of those where you kind of, you know, you have people coming over and you want to display something on your big ass TV. This would be one of those you would like choose, (laughs) (laughs) you know, this is, this is one of those movies. And I like Tenet a lot. Um, I've rewatched it like twice and I'm like, it, it keeps my attention. And I like the story. I like the performances. And so it, it gets me. And then last, from number five, <laughs> Insomnia. I love Insomnia. <laughs> well, I could see the whole uh, murder thing. Yeah. <laughs> Insomnia. Like, like a mystery and detective, all that stuff. I could see where you're coming from. Yeah. It's, it's core. It's me to a core. Like it's, it's the... Yeah, it truly is. I never even thought about that before. But yeah, I could totally see that. Man, a stressed out Al Pacino like that's it like that's all i needed (laughs) you sold yeah um i have seen the original like i think it's dutch or danish movie as well i prefer nolan's version obviously but they're pretty close i I mean robin williams is a villain is just uh yeah it's i don't know it's something very unique and it's something kind of haunting too because like yeah oh yeah watching it because I watched it for the first time, and it was after, you know, his Probably passing. Yeah. And so, you know, me growing up, I think most people of our generation would know Robert Williams for more family-friendly fare. I didn't know about his stand-up until later on. And so yeah. when I watched Insomnia, and it made me go off and, like, re- research some and watch some of his other stuff. So I was really surprised at how many serial killers he played. Um, but insomnia, I was like, Oh, Oh, oh my God. <laughs> it, it really left. Like and any anytime I watch it now, I get this kind of like double-edged like feeling about it where it's like, he's doing such a great job. And I'm wondering if there was a counselor on set, <laughs> but <laughs> it's either way. I, I understand the criticism that you may have about it being your least favorite, but I think there's a lot of, uh, he is relying on a, of he's adapting here. So he's relying on a lot of the uh, the imagery of the original movie and the the screenplay as well. But I do think he gets some really great performances out of the cast. Al Pacino is pretty much doing really good being post, you know, top tier Pacino. But he's doing really good at being kind of like on the edge and again, stressed out. But he doesn't go as big, 
you know, as he's known for getting. And I think that really plays a big part. Hillary Swank is doing a good job at being this more of like, the, you know, uh, angel on the the shoulder of the cop. And then, yeah, Robin Williams being this like devil. And I, I enjoy the whole um, moral ambiguity aspect of it all. I, I think that's really cool. And so that's my top five. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Um, I did think about the others like, you know, Memento is in the same kind of camp for me as Interstellar. Like it's not my it's not I don't again, Interstellar is my least favorite, but like Memento is a movie I just have not been able to finish. <laughs> Anytime I start it, I always stop about halfway through and I'm like, ah, my brain hurts. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot to keep up with, but um I mean, I think at the end of the day, you can see a lot of these movies. Like, if you look at the overview of them, it's, like, simple. It's just he, the way that he's exploring it is yeah. very uh, complicated a lot of the time. I mean, I do think of stuff like a like a Pulp Fiction for Tarantino for, like, a memento. And, again, like, the, the way that the movie is laid out. Like, you could edit it completely differently, and it would make more sense, quote-unquote. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, they're doing their own thing and it serves its own purpose and is just as understandable maybe even more interesting because of the way it's done so um and again i think it was that low budget aspect and seeing it early on and that being one of the movies that propelled me for for christopher nolan i think i kind of did the same thing for tarantino where i wanted to go back and watch like their first movies and not yeah. just necessarily like start from the beginning and go chronologically it was just like I want to see what they were like when they were just getting started out and what their original vision was versus, you know, now that they're known for being a success, like what, what type of movies were they making when they were still like doubting themselves probably, you know? And that's funny because the following is also a very confusing as hell movie. <laughs> oh yeah. And again, I think that's him even more unleashed. Like it's him without a studio at all. Yeah. He was uh, like, Oh, I'm putting it all out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, it reminds me of some um, what am I thinking of like cinema tour with um, old school like French films, uh, black and white that we would like watch in film school. It's definitely a film school uh, kids idea for like making a movie. Definitely, um, that's what it felt like was him going to film school in that movie, and it, and it was really good. Um, and again, I think he always has interesting concepts or interesting story to tell and a way to tell it like visually. Um, I think some of his dialogue is not like always the best in his stuff. Again, I think because it reaches into that. Uh, let's go into a five minute explanation of what's happening right now for you to understand it. Like when I talk about that, he doesn't treat audiences like they're dumb on the same hand. He has that trope of doing that in a lot of his films that can yeah that can work within the film like they're explaining to other characters it just feels at this point it's like the meme for christopher nolan is kind of forced i mean i guess better than to be tarantino with a meme of loving feet and displaying that a lot in your movies shout out to your <laughs> birthday wish by the way um, <laughs> but, um yeah it's it's a trope nonetheless within itself for him that i think you can kind of knock on but anyways i think there's a um, uh, I can't even remember my original point now. Uh, I'm trying to think back to um, oh earlier on, or a common thread you can see throughout his films are uh, a lot of uh, original uh, takes on things and the way that he tells stories. I think is very unique. 
especially when you see it in Inception. I think it's when I talked about him unleashed with um, something like following. He he feels like he can flex all of his muscles in this movie. I think. Yes, and I, last thing I'll say, and then we're we're gonna move on to Inception, people. Uh, I think Prestige may be his most underrated film because that one. Again, I love the moral ambiguity of it all, but no one talks about that one a lot. I think probably because it just came like that was the one he did right after Dark Knight or right before. Right before Dark Knight, right before. it came out a, a couple years before, yeah. but it was like right after Batman Begins. But it has that, I mean, it has the, that same energy to you. I have friends too that 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 is their favorite. Really, I think that's interesting. Is like you could have a. I know other people that Batman Begins is like one of their favorite movies, even more than Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises over Dark Knight. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And again, Interstellar, Tenet, not so much, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of people out there like that for Oppenheimer or people who love Dunkirk. I don't know. There's a lot of uh, different movies of his that can be your favorite and it's you're not going to get a lot of pushback on it. Um, but uh, yeah, for Prestige, as crazy as it sounds, out of all the movies we're talking about, I think Prestige is actually one of the more out there, fantastical. Oh, it uh, is. <laughs> I mean, I guess because of one aspect of it, like one big plot point. Yeah. But it seemed like it was all going to stay uh, realistic. And then it reaches a point where you're like, this just got way weird, way weirder than I thought it would. Um, when and that's something like I said, even Interstellar, you could be like, oh, well, this could actually happen, this could actually happen. And when you see that, you're like, could this really? I don't think this could happen. Like, you know, we just, yeah. I don't know, well, entered the realm of pure fiction. But it, it's, it's yeah, I think it's great. I, I, it, it's, I do love it. Don't yeah. get me wrong. It's just like the first time seeing that movie, it blew my mind. It puts uh, a smile on for my one face. plot twist, yeah. one plot twist, a realistic plot twist. But the other plot twist, I was like, "What is happening?" Like, not that yeah. I'm not enjoying it, but I just did not expect all this. Oh, all right. So, Inception. Oh boy, we've <laughs> we're finally here. What's the most resilient parasite? An idea. A single idea from the human mind can build cities. An idea can transform the world and rewrite all the rules. Which is why I have to steal it. Never recreate from your memory. Always imagine new places. He's hiding something, and we need to find out what that is. We gotta break out of here. Give him the kick! This was not a part of the plan! Wake me up! Wake me up! I'm going to give some quick facts about the movie and the plot and everything, and then we'll go into our overall thoughts. 
really quickly. Um, so Inception, it was released July 13th, 2010, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. The film stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Ken Watanabe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Marion Cotillard, Elliot Page, Tom Hardy, Killian Murphy, Tom Berenger, and Michael Caine. And the plot goes as such. Dom Cobb is a thief with a rare ability to enter people's dreams and steal their secrets from their subconscious. His skill has made him a hot commodity in the world of corporate espionage, but has also cost him everything he loves. Cobb gets a chance at redemption when he is offered a seemingly impossible task, plant an, plan an idea in someone's mind. If he succeeds, it will be the perfect crime, but a dangerous enemy anticipates Cobb's every move. The budget for the film was $160 million and the box office was $839 million. Um, some little things here about the movie. After, two, after the 2002 completion of Insomnia, Nolan presented Warner Brothers with an 80-page treatment for a horror film, Envisioned Dream Stealers, based on lucid dreaming, deciding he needed more experience before tackling a production of this magnitude and complexity. Nolan shelved the project and instead worked on 2005's Batman Begins, 2006's The Prestige, and 2008's The Dark Knight. The treatment was revised over six months and was purchased by Warner in February of 2009. Inception was filmed in six countries, beginning in Tokyo on June 19th and ending in Canada on November 22nd. <laughs> uh, Inception went on to be the fourth highest grossing film of 2010, which is insane. I need to research what the others were, but I, I have a feeling I know 2010 was a packed year. Ah, considered to be one of the best films of the 2010s, Inception won four Oscars, Best Cinematography, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, Best Visual Effects, and was nominated for four others, Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Original Score at the 83rd Academy Awards. And so that's pretty much the main facts about the movie. Um, one little thing I do want to put in there, it's because of Inception <laughs> that we got that big old, like, loud uh, trombone or trumpet or what, no, tuba <laughs> sound effect in trailers that became like a big thing over the years. <laughs> I thought that was fun. But um, yeah, so Inception, overall thoughts, canon, what's your uh, overall thoughts on the movie? Can I can I give you uh, a few quick things before I get into that? I'm sorry to keep oh, yeah, yeah. Go uh, ahead. wasting time, but uh, I have the answer, first of all for the three movies ahead of inception Ooh, yes uh number one was toy story three ah, with see, a billion and 66 million uh alice in wonderland was a close second uh at a billion and 25 million oh, and wow. harry potter and the deathly hallows part one 972 million yeah the bad one so those are the three ahead of it and right behind it to round out the top five behind inception uh shrek forever after what? Yeah, Seriously? Seven hundred and fifty-two million. Yeah, it actually beat out Twilight Saga Eclipse. Uh, so that's uh, oh man, and even Iron Man too, man. I'm getting blown away by the movies that are like beating other movies on this. But uh, anyways, um, yeah, that's your answer on that. And I actually had some fun facts real fast. To yeah, read on that I thought were fascinating. There's a lot, but I got even just enthralled by this. So I actually, it was funny. I read this a few weeks ago about the movie 
and then you asked me to do this podcast and i was like oh that's funny i just read this fact but uh uh chris it says here christopher nolan explained that he based the roles of the inception team similar to roles that are used in filmmaking so cobb is the director role in this yes um it says arthur is the producer i always forget to how to pronounce uh elliot's um character's name is it ariadne ariadne yeah it's it's a very unique name uh they're like the production designer slash like art director um it says eames is the actor because when you think about it he's changing between different um forms yeah and uh, it says Saito is the studio and Fisher is the audience. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, um, oh, real quick things. I'm trying to remember right now. Uh, I know that the snow sequence was based off of a old James Bond movie. I think it's like uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service is what I believe it was. Yes. Just going back to the Nolan and Bond connection, which I hope... Uh, makes a direct correlation here soon um oh i'm trying to remember i know that the uh leo and nolan both talked about how they both had a dream about the movie when they were working on it together because leo was like the first choice to play Cobb, and uh and the only choice is what nolan said yeah and they actually worked on writing it a lot together fleshing out even more of it um which i thought was really interesting um let me try to find one more good fact. Because uh, I, I wrote down a whole lot of them. I mean, there's, there's yeah, a bunch. There was copying a... and pasting. And I was like, oh, the numbers. I'll go into that for, um, for... There's a lot of cool different things to do with numbers in this movie. So cable listings for this movie show the runtime as two days, nine hours, and 14 minutes. <laughs> uh, that's the length of time it would take if it was watched in the dream world, is what it says. Two days... Uh, that's fun yeah two days and nine hours um and then they also talked about like the numbers that were um kept appearing in the movie so one was the one that they were uh that fisher gives them for the the combination yeah and it's backwards of what was on like the taxi that or the van that they were in i guess no the taxi yeah that eames uh interrupts tom hardy's character in the back um and it was talking about it being a prime number and things like that but it, the last thing on numbers the running time of the movie on dvd is exactly 8888 seconds which could all, all be seen as infinity i guess too if you want to make a reach but uh there's just some crazy weird things that seems like were pre-planned for this movie um but i mean my favorite fact being that based on the roles of people that work on a film set. I just think that's really interesting that he got their personalities yes. for the movie from that. And one of the things too, last thing that, uh, and also interesting fact, um, the characters' names, like if you take the first letter of each of their names, it went through like, um, who was it? Like Dom. Um, I have to look at it. But either way, it spells out dreams. Um, oh, yeah. For each first letters i saw that and then if you include the other three characters names it spells out pay so it's like dreams pay which they're also getting paid to go into the dreams mm -hmm. um or also that you know they can take a toll uh either way there was there was so many different trivia that i was finding on this movie that I was going further and further down the rabbit hole and i was like there's a lot of 
really cool things about this. But um, overall thoughts, um, there's so much <laughs> that happens during this movie. I didn't. I always forget that. Like a lot of stuff being thrown at you, um, and a lot of things I feel like I just saw kind of for the first time. But um, getting a little, I guess, meta for a second, going back to the whole workers on a film set relating to the character's personality in this movie. Uh, I guess in that line of thought, they would be trying to make a great film. <laughs> They're working together to make like a perfect film, let's say, which yeah. they say is impossible. Um, and the, the whole idea of inception, like this, the movie itself is planning ideas within your head, like what they're doing within the movie. There's just a lot of stuff I watched. So I was like, I was trying to see where no one was thinking about it from, from like an artsy, I guess, perspective. Um, but the story itself, like it just, it, uh, I guess organically evolves throughout and there's stuff that's organically introduced, like the death of, um, Maul, you just, you don't know who she is from the get go. But then once, uh, he's talking to his kids on the phone, um, they ask about where mom is and he said, you know, I told you she's gone. Uh, we've had this discussion. So you've kind of inferring there. And then he talks about going to see Grandpa soon, that being Michael Caine's character, uh, like a scene later. So it all just kind of flows very naturally uh, from start to finish. And But it also is just so out there and, again, meta um, and different levels to it. I have to start to question, like, is this whole movie a dream? I don't know. Like, it just gets it gets <laughs> to where it's so mind-bending, I feel like, the same thing as like a tenant but i think this one hits deeper when you start talking about dreams and all the different metaphors that could be taken for that like dreams versus memories how he talks about not to use your memories as you know the basis for your dreams and i think there's i don't know so many different deeper levels that you could take from that or messages within the movie that i felt like i was just kind of picking up on for the first time um and also just the dream space having a lot of room for that creativity there's so much we don't understand about it uh but the way that he did it like he again just does a great job at making the fantastical seem so real and like it's possible like this doesn't feel like a as much of another world even though it, kind of, it definitely is but uh i guess like more of an alternate alternate take on the modern world like something that could for all we know definitely exist um and i think he does great world building with stuff like limbo in the movie and uh, dom's whole background story um and how that's affecting the stuff they're going through now um all the different characters the set designs the visuals the score in this movie um and I'll, i'm sure we'll get into the little nitty-gritty stuff i'm just there's so much that's on my mind about the movie that uh um uh, I think is so much to take from it uh, at all times. Like it's hard to breathe throughout the movie. I think the third act does a pretty good job at slowing down um, and letting you kind of breathe it in. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's even a better movie than the last. I think I've only seen it twice before that once in theaters and another time at home, but I guess getting prepared for the podcast, I was just feel like I was picking up on a whole lot more than I ever did before and giving it kind of the attention it deserves. Yes, dude. Yes. I'm like, again, I'm fist pumping the air, but yeah, I agree. As my overall thoughts, uh, I love this movie. It's one of my favorites. I have a tattoo of it. Um, it's, I have a tattoo on my left, 
forearm and it's the drawing the cop makes when he's explaining things to uh, Ariadne about how, you know, um, when creating a dream, you know, you have the creative side and how the brain makes it continuous and then their job oh, yeah, is to kind of, yeah. And then like and the, the line through it, like where we meet in between. Yeah. And then like in the center of the line, I have the totem, but it's like, it's two totems. So one's on one side, one's on the other. It's, I, I thought it was a cool tattoo from this movie to have, and I got it. Um, but my overall thoughts on the movie, it's one of my favorites. I love this. Um, this is one of those rare movies where, I don't want to say rare movies, so I probably say this about other movies, but it's one of those movies where, like, immediately after, like, you know, the, the production credits, <laughs> from scene one, it sucks me right in, and I'm just, like, I'm in it. Like, the music kicks in. The characters are there. I'm I'm in it, and it feels like I feel like I have like tunnel vision. <laughs> I like just it just grabs me immediately, and so I I love everything about this movie. Um, it's from the way it's like filmed. I do love like the fast like uh dialogue in this movie as well. It just gets me. Um, but everything that this movie's about as well is just being about dreams and how dreams work and how that coalesce with reality and how does reality work? And if we can build our own dreams, can we build our own reality? And the the questions that it proposes and how that gets explained away. Um, but also it's just, again, it's just a, on a surface level, it's just a really cool heist movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, well, like it's like a heist movie wrapped inside of a spy movie wrapped inside of this, like, you know, marital drama, which is what is at this point, Leonardo DiCaprio is kind of mostly known for doing. And it's just like it's, also wrapped up in a sci-fi too. I mean, yeah, wrapped up in like this really. Oh, <laughs> I feel like they kind of gloss over that part a bit. They're like, oh, the military created this. All right, now back to what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was stuff like that that. Uh, I mean, even like how wanted is Cobb. Yes. Because <laughs> um, I had to remember, I was like, why is he not allowed back home again? And then when they mentioned, uh, they thought that he killed Maul and then, you know, apparently allowed to come back in the end. It's like, was he really like the number one suspect or is this an ongoing case? Or I don't, I don't know how there's some stuff like that. That's not explained the best, I guess. But. Yeah, you're right. But also, I think there's a lot of inference there because it's ambiguous, and I love ambiguity. <laughs> oh, you're talking about the, the whole entire ending of it? Yeah. I don't know what this whole movie comes down to. If you were put it all on a meme, it'd be that top spinning. Yeah. Which is also produced almost as soon as Leo is on the movie. Like, it's the co star. Yes. I love it. I want, I've always wanted one of my own. <laughs> and just to spend it at random times and people start looking at you like, does he Dude, do you know how like confused people would be if you just like walk up they to like a table? <laughs> yeah, if you're just at a bar and you're spending that top waiting for it to fall over. Honestly, you could probably pick up a lot got of girls. A gun that to your way. head just ready and then just put it away <laughs> after the top falls over. Dude, it's my next, next year's, it's going to be my next uh, Halloween costume next year. <laughs> I'm going to find a version you just go up to a random girl and be like hi hi gun to the head all right are we dreaming <laughs> how do you know patient to the gravity <laughs> give me you your number i don't even know you yeah <laughs> then walk away with the number that's how you do it but uh yeah, yeah. Dude. probably a fake number yeah <laughs> like the one that uh fisher got you know six digit number 
<laughs> which was honestly cold <laughs> to be turned down by your own well i thought it was his Tom Hardy. yeah but to be turned down by a fake tom hardy <laughs> by the female tom hardy man all right so where do we even begin with this movie oh uh, i guess uh, that's the beginning <laughs> but the beginning's the end <laughs> is it though is it First of all, let's go into your because the the way you brought up how everything's kind of based on making a film that is a the characters at least maybe not the whole movie but I started to see it that way I guess yeah well I've always like um the way people describe this movie in recent years it has been about the whole movie being about how Christopher Nolan makes his movies like this movie is very meta in the sense of like. At the time he was writing and making this, he would like this is like right after Batman Begins. No, Batman. This is right after Dark Batman Knight. Dark Knight. And so you know he just he has this big high. Dark Knight's doing all this blockbustery stuff, and so this movie came out in between, which is really smart on his part. But you know, the, essentially what I've always heard is that this movie is actually about. Christopher Nolan wanting to go home <laughs> after making these big movies and he's really struggling. And so he's kind of criticizing his own filmmaking process. You know, he's one of those directors that likes to film all over the place. He doesn't like sitting still. <laughs> um, and so I've always heard that. Yeah. The characters are kind of have these filmmaking roles, but also, you know, how Cobb looks just like Christopher Nolan, how he dresses daily and, the hair yeah wanting to go home to his wife and kids and i i again it's it's inferred in that him and his wife are having issues at this point uh as far as like him wanting to be with her but also wanting to have a relationship with his kids who were young at the time and so it was just him really being having this kind of therapeutic process in doing this film and so i, I do like that you brought that back up me personally, I do think you can see it within this movie. You can view this as Christopher Nolan's process of making a movie while also resenting it at the same time. But at the and I think the ending kind of really doubled down on what the actual ending could be, which is that yeah, he's he's gonna do what he loves, and so whether it's the real world or not. He's he's probably gonna fall back into. <laughs> I think the the ending of this movie. I've always viewed the ending of this movie as uh, number one. I've been more positive on it. We'll just we'll debate the ending, but kind of previewing my thoughts. I've been I've always gone the more positive route, but I've always felt the the top spinning was more of a warning <laughs> rather than like an official resolution. Um, and that's why I've always found it so cool. But, uh, again, the movie kind of starts as it will end, but Cobb washes up on a beach and right away we're, we're somewhere in Japan. <laughs> we're assuming we're supposed to assume he's somewhere in Japan and we meet old Sato who Sato Sato, I, pro I think it's Sato, but Sato, my favorite character of the movie, the guy's the guy's a badass. <laughs> I love Sato so much. He's so cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, just, again, I don't. it's really hard to kind of, I don't want to like go through the movie plot point by plot point, um, but uh, we got so many characters in here. So just to kind of start off, what's your, what's your thoughts on Leo DiCaprio as Dom Cobb here? Who to me, 
Dom Cobb sounds like a brand of corn. <laughs> I just, it sounds. <laughs> I just think about. Well, the I'm corn. not sure about the the whole meaning of Cobb. I know that one of the things I read in the trivia was that uh, Dom, and being short for another, like uh, I don't know if it was an old Latin word, but in a lot of different languages, Dom apparently relates to home. So the fact that he was wanting to go home was, I think, a big, I don't know, reason that Nolan could have named him Dom. Not sure on the Cobb part. It's <laughs> funny that I remember him more as Cobb than I do as Dom. But um, yeah, they say Cobb throughout the movie. But <laughs> yeah, it's just the most accepted name I feel like. But um, um, no, I uh, I think I mean Leo's can almost do no wrong. And I think he's great in this movie uh, as his character and very, very believable. Um, and also, I believe at a time where he really wasn't doing any wrong. I mean, I have to think that this was uh, um, would have been before, before Wall Street, of course. But I was thinking of uh, Shutter Island about that time would have been one of the things or Departed or a lot of great movies he was putting out. Yes. But um, no, he... Uh, he did awesome in this movie. I think all the casting was was really on point. I saw some of the other people that were like chosen before other characters apparently or other actors or actresses um, to play their, their roles. And I think it would have been interesting to see. But I mean, Tom Hardy's one of my favorite actors and I almost don't even recognize him that much in this movie <laughs> compared to now. Uh, not that he's aged poorly or anything. He's just... He, he just looks way different yeah. to me. And I think that, I think it's funny looking, um, at, you know, there being three, uh, actors that end up going on to play in the dark Knight rises. Well, and I guess if you count Killian Murphy as well, since he's in it for a whole minute, um, yeah, four. <laughs> but kind of a, kind of a precursor to, uh, a lot of his casting there. So apparently he was pretty pleased with their performances. And because uh, um, I know Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to be Riddler or he was like number one choice for Riddler until they changed it. Yeah. Until they decided they didn't want to do Riddler, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then it went to Bane. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the casting uh, was, was really on point is all I can really say. I mean, I saw that Michael Caine was one of the top build actors for this movie and had a total I think screen time of four minutes. He's in one scene. <laughs> well, he's in. Te- he's at the ending too. Oh, so he's in two second. and a half scenes. Yeah. <laughs> one and a half two and scenes. Two point one is what I would say. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So he um, interesting him throwing him in there. I mean, him and Christopher Nolan working a lot together. Um, which I can't blame Nolan. I mean, I have to think about growing up in the UK. Michael Caine was like the dude growing up. Yeah. So getting able to work with him and have a great work working relationship is really cool. I don't think Good there's one. a lot of those uh, director actor duos that people mention, like a Scorsese and De Niro, for instance, or Scorsese and Leo. Yeah, was Daniel <laughs> Jackson. Uh, there's a lot of them out there that are very popular, but there's smaller ones like that, like Nolan and um, Michael Caine or. Uh, Nolan and Killian Murphy. Good old Nigel Powers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think there's a, a lot of those cool relationships out there. But anyways, uh, yeah, I think casting was great going uh, 
just my thoughts real fast on the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, it does like it does start you off in a dreamlike state because you're starting out on the beach, not knowing anything about what's going on, where he came from, having the conversation with Sato, the older version of him, uh, for a split second, and introducing again the top, and then cut to a young Sato with bodyguards around, and now there's a whole pitch meeting going on. It's just very confusing, but also like I don't question it too much in the way that it starts. Yeah. Uh, if you try to take it like for what it is, it's like, oh, did they just come out of that dream and come into this dream? But later on, that wouldn't make sense. But I don't. There's so much to this movie that I'm like, there's so much uh, room to imagine that it's hard to tell. Again, even by the end of the movie, when you're questioning if it's all a dream, it's like. Or if he's still in a dream, it's like, has all this been a dream? <laughs> I think it's the tough part. Yeah. I start questioning the movie or the concept within itself. But anyways, uh, yeah, I thought it started off great. And when you talked about, we keep talking about Nolan and Bond, when uh, Cobb is discovered and being chased down with the, the confidential documents. Yeah. When he's shooting or they do the whole water scene, that reminded me a little bit of Mission Impossible, the first one of the breaking through of the water. Um. That just reminded me of like, oh, this is maybe what it would kind of look like if Nolan did a Bond film. He uh, wants to do one so bad, or he did. Yeah. He's now he's like, no, nah, I think it's best I don't. <laughs> but but he, then like, almost to me, like the we don't understand the totem at the beginning until like I don't know a half hour into it. But the dunking thing, like because of the water, is because he's being dunked and he's waking up. But I mean, we're just inferring all this, but that he's uh, waking up due to that, and that it's uh, overtaking his dream. Uh, Maul's also introduced in the beginning, questioning on who she is, and now we're popping up in another dream, and now we know that there are dreams within dreams. There's just so many like concepts that are introduced from the very beginning, and like everything about what the movie is so fast and so like seamlessly, and you don't really question a whole lot of it. Like just the the visual storytelling within itself um, does a lot of talking on its own. I feel like within this movie more than the dialogue does, honestly, a lot of the time, but. Um, that's just my thoughts, I guess, on the the opening. That it's definitely gripping and <laughs> just leaves you kind of scratching your head with an eyebrow up, but then you're still like just so intrigued um, throughout the film. I think you don't have to understand all of it, but anyways, not trying to wrap up my thoughts or anything. It was just kind of the beginning. No, yeah, you're you're right on it. Yeah, the, I think the opening of this movie is great. It's it's one of my favorites as far as like Nolan openings go. Like this one is definitely up there. Like, again, you get all these characters. I do like the subtle relationship stuff we get with Cobb and uh, Arthur, who is uh, JGL, looking very young <laughs> in this movie. And I just, he just always has that perpetual young face. But him in this movie, he's, him being like the sidekick, but also the like comic relief, and then also just dropping like hints of like, oh, here we go again. Here's Maul. You better go handle that. We're here to work. And I'm like, oh, I've, I need to watch more Joseph Gordon-Levitt movies because I've missed. <laughs> just thought about it. Where I feel it's like he's been like uh, not making stuff in a very long time. Yeah, he's been kind of low key lately. I'm like, usually he, well, for a while, at least during the pandemic, he was like really active on like Twitter. And then he's ever since you know, the world opened up again, he's kind of like been low key. I haven't really heard from him much, but I need yeah. to go back and watch some of his movies. <laughs> I love him. He's he's such a great actor. He's such a unique actor. Um, there's a movie that I absolutely love that he did with Ryan Johnson called Brick. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or have seen it. 
but it's oh, no. it's great. It's basically just everything you love about Ryan Johnson in the right kind of setting. It's just a noir film, like a like a straight up noir film, but taking place at a high school in the early two thousands. And so it's like Joseph Gordon Levitt and Megan Good and all these other like perpetually like nineties, early two thousand like actors that were really young at the time. Um, just kind of doing, they're legit doing like Chinatown, but in the style of Maltese Falcon, where it's very like they're talking very 1960s, 1950s almost, really 1940s. And like there's like flapper dancers, but it's for a school play. It's really great. I highly recommend it. And I bring that up because Joseph Gordon Levitt is essentially playing the same kind of character. Just here, he's allowed to make jokes while in Brick. He is the narrator, and so he's also the the quote unquote private detective of that movie. But the characters are pretty identical, except for like the traumatic things he goes through in that movie. But like he's like wisecracking, and he's got the same kind of tone to him. And then I do love the fact that like Arthur ends up going up against uh, Ames, which is Tom Hardy's character, and so it reminded me a lot about it reminded me a lot about brick because he also gets kind of like a meathead sidekick in that movie <laughs> you know it's like hey I, I i see what they're doing here i don't know if it was intentional but just reminded me of that his performance reminded me a lot of that and i just that stuck out to me this time but yes um we end up finding out that they're trying to extract something from sato or sato i'm gonna go back and forth but i'm pretty sure it's sato and so he pretty much catches them because uh maul just <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't even know if it's called like a double cross. He just kind of fucks it up for them, <laughs> and so they get kicked out of their dreams here. I do love the the big kick moment, and so the, we're in the other dream. And I do like that they end up getting the last laugh, but the other guy kind of fucks up because he ends up face planting on a rug, and he's like, "This is the wrong rug," <laughs> <laughs> which is a crazy plot device to bring in for a guy to know he's <laughs> in a dream. And really, I don't think it was Maul for me as much as it was like. Like, I, I love how Cobb, with Fisher and with Sato, both, he's like, instead of having a casual conversation that people would have regularly, let me go into dream extraction in yeah. all of my talks. And hopefully they won't pick up on what if I'm dreaming right now and realizing that they are. Like, Fisher was a little more gullible with Sato. Like, that's the way he starts out with him. Yeah with the young version and it's like he even said like your pitch or execution on that uh was off it's like yeah i would think so too if somebody was so much dream extracting <laughs> and i start wondering like is this a dream right now he's uh, like it's reverse psychology no you're giving yourself away <laughs> yeah exactly you're planning that idea in their head in that moment and they're figuring it out like with fisher he did a good job i think more uh, nuanced by saying you know i'm your security i know that you've been prepped for dream extraction that's what's going on to gain his trust um and to make him believe the lie of what's happening like it is going on but uh now he's not going to question things as much now that he knows it's all one big dream um but with sato it was just like yeah it wasn't the greatest way to start the conversation then maul's introduced and the i mean i just thought about it as like in my head is maul is not alive yeah she's not within these dreams Cobb is going into the big things but like is kind of keeping her alive within his own dream worlds 
And she just uh, hates. <laughs> but it's it's almost to me like it's a it's a representation, of course, of like Cobb's trauma, and that getting in the way of his dreams, literally, and him being able to create ideas, and you know, to be able to build those dreams, like dream worlds. Um, so I think her being that, you just kind of see Cobb as both the protagonist and the antagonist all at once. I mean, especially once you figure out the fact that he, <laughs> he in a way did kill Maul. Did he intend to? No. But, uh, you know, he saves her and also kills her at the same time, pretty much. He's saving her from limbo and being down there forever, but the way that he does it makes her kill herself anyway so our protagonist is not you know that clean of a dude um and like i say is is, he mean he's the one that at the end of the day is messing up uh in all the dreams and all the scenarios i mean he's his own worst enemy and you know again trauma being his biggest weakness at the end of the day indeed and i just i think the concept alone of like yeah, I'm a high-level criminal with all this intelligence. And, up, oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> sometimes my, you know, my subconscious in the form of my dead wife comes and sabotages me. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, I have no control over my subconscious. But you would think it'd be like, hey, you can sit out on this one as far as us going into your dream. We'll just, we'll, uh, you know, you come into ours right. is what I'd be saying. Just like, like we don't need to, we, you're very smart with all this, you know, more than anybody else, but also, like, we're not going to be in your dreams, yes. This is like, <laughs> which gives him more of a reason why he's explaining everything because he can't like show you, he has to tell you, <laughs> so yeah. And maybe to... the fact that he's like, like, we're going into also like not time space as much in this one, but more about the time experience in a dream versus real life where a dream can feel like forever. Um, but it's only been, you know, so many minutes. Yeah, like five uh, minutes an hour. Yeah, the same thing kind of with Interstellar. But um, uh, when you think about that and how long him and Maul were, were in a dream, you know, it comes to a certain point, like what they talked about towards the beginning with the guy that had the, uh, the serum or the drug to keep them sedated. Yeah, deep the, enough to the chemist. Yeah when uh, they show all the older people that are uh, a lot of more older people, but that stayed in that little room, it would dream share for like hours on end. And it, it would feel like uh, days to them. And Leo just says, you know, it's their only way to sleep. But the other dude brings up, no, you know what it is. It's them um, being more infatuated with that being their reality rather than reality itself. Like the dream becomes reality. Yeah. And then Leo has the whole flash and then comes out in the bathroom, spinning the top and he just looks so distressed. Like, and I, I love like the little flashes between him, uh, in his visions or memories or stuff like that, because it is almost like he's living in that reality more than actual reality. So, uh, anyway, some, a lot of interesting stuff dealing with dreams and visions and, uh, people not living in the real world, I guess, at the end of the day. And like I said, he's probably so um, crazy from living down there for so long. He probably, that's probably the only thing he has, like a conversational topic. We small talk, talk about the weather. He's out here talking about dream extraction. That's what he <laughs> lived for hundreds of years in his mind. Like, Yeah. 
And again, if you want to make it meta, that's essentially what Nolan was likely dealing with at this point. He made Batman movies, and so people only talk to him about Batman. And so yeah. he's like, ah, gotta go to the bathroom and spin this goddamn Batman, you know, battering around and make sure I'm in the right headspace. But I get it. I get it. It's um, this movie proposes a lot of great themes really quickly. And I do love all of the motifs. You know, water is a big motif in this movie. And I love just a good water motif in a movie. Um, Something that stuck out to me watching it this time around is that people repeat the phrase leap of faith or take a leap of faith. Uh, Sato says it to him. Maul says it to him multiple times. He says it uh, towards the end, I believe. It's so... It's. I think that's interesting. Um, what do you What do you suppose they mean by this? Because when they brought it up, it made sense. And but thinking about it, I'm like, well, what does he actually mean by that? Well, I mean, again, if I'm I'm really stretching here, but um, uh, if you take dreams in multiple different ways, maybe, um, you know, following a dream is a leap of faith. True. Uh, I guess would be my corny little, you know, thing for that. But, um, I don't, I don't really know at the end of the day how it relates. And like you say, it is brought up multiple times and it could just be more of a, you know, just a line of dialogue because he just written and didn't have a deeper meaning, but it does feel like it needs to have one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Maul literally takes a leap of faith and if she's wrong, (laughs) she ends up being wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Or we're led Uh, to believe the whole concept of uh, Inception in the movie is seen as a leap of faith and like impossible. Like they're doing something that hasn't really been done aside from Leo did it or Cobb did it once to his own wife. True. Um, and I think what's interesting when you see it like that too is they're, <laughs> what they do to Fisher is kind of a positive thing for him at the end of the day, it seems like. Very therapeutic, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, uh, it seems like he's being more careful with what idea he is implanting in him versus his wife. Like, his wife, it was a momentary solution, but he's probably like, I could have just told her, like, um, you're in a dream right now. Let's get back to reality. I don't know. Something different than um, we're in a dream. You're living in a dream and you need to kill yourself to wake up. Like that seems like, hell. let's think about down the line. If yeah. He's in there because he'd never done it before. Never been done. So, um, yeah, it seems like they're more careful with what they, what they do to Fisher. Um, but you're, I'm sorry, your original question. Uh, I got lost there. No, you're good. We were just talking about the whole leap of faith situation. Oh, leap of faith thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whole thing being leap of faith. I don't really know. I thought about that myself too. When I watched it. I'm like, I don't really know what directly to like correlate this to within the movie. Um, yeah, I guess hard to say. Yeah. So jumping out of the whole opening, basically <laughs> they were hired to extract from Sato, but they failed. And so Sato's like, well, what I, it was initially going to be an, an audition because I knew this was coming because Sato is just that big of a badass. I love him so much, but he just, he anticipated everything. And he was like, well, you guys are kind of suck at this, but I'm going to give you one last shot because you did it so well. I need you to do an inception on this guy whose father's about to die. And I need them to essentially fail on purpose so I can take their company. And I love that. Again, it's like people doing things for wrong reasons. 
it's just a big yeah. theme with a lot of these characters. They're like they're good characters, they're good people, but they're just they are criminals, <laughs> and I I love that. Um, something yeah, very that true outlaws. And yeah. I mean, and when you said Stu about Sato wanting to extract from this old dude businessman uh, from his son, or and not really extract, but do an inception. Yeah. Um, I like how he referred to his dad as a, you know, who's the target. And at first he explained it by his dad, who's an old man uh, in poor health. And I was like, that's what we just saw you as Sato, not 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and I'm still wondering, like, like, I don't know. I just, it's not really much of a full circle. It's just more like uh, referencing sort of the same thing. And that going back to that in the ending with Sato. So, I just thought it was interesting that he was the one to, I guess, describe him. And it was like, hey, this is kind of what you just were. So it's yeah. kind of ironic, I guess, is the way to put it. But We love irony. He kind of pretty much just predicts his own future. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. ironic that he's saying that. But it's like, I don't know if you know this, but you are going to be that. So anyways. Uh, yeah, so they end up, he ends up hiring, he ends up hiring uh, Cobb and Arthur. And they're like, all right, fine. We'll do it. Well, he proposes to Cobb that he can pretty much clean his record if he does it. And so Cobb's like, fine, we'll we'll gather a team. We'll do it. And so that kind of kicks off the main plot of the movie. And so we get to every part of the heist movie that everyone loves, which is the whole, we got to get the team together. You know, you <laughs> son of a bitch, I'm in. I, just, I love that part. I know Rick and Morty made fun of it, but that's my favorite part of any heist movie. Just getting the team together. And so the first person they go to is Michael Caine. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. <laughs> totally forgot the scene was in the movie when I rewatched it. <laughs> but it's a really well, good you, scene between them. And I didn't really pick up on it as much at the beginning because I think there is so much being thrown at you. But uh, their, their architect messing up uh, in his dream. Oh, uh, yeah. On the rug, and then him also being who Sato brings with him on the helicopter and being taken off. Um, it was like, hey, our architect just made a screw up, first of all, and now seems like he's dead. <laughs> so first thing we're going to need is a good architect. So, I, I mean, it did kind of make sense to jump into that, but, like, from times before, it's just, like, kind of flew by me. Like, I didn't realize, oh, yeah, that guy's the architect. That's why they need an architect. Oh, so I, but they got, like, thrown off a building. <laughs> I don't dude. know. It seemed like he was not going to have a very pleasant death, but. Oh, man. So, yeah. So, they go off to find another architect and Michael Caine. So, it took me this watching to realize that Michael Caine is supposed to be Maul's dad because they're British. And I always yeah, assumed that he was. that's the only reason I thought about that. Like, then this time, too, I'm, I was about to say the same thing as you. Yeah. I thought that Cobb was his son and that there's just maybe some traveling going on. Cobb grew up in America, I guess. But uh, once I started to think about it, and the way that he reacted when he brought up Maul, yeah. he said, like, he's like, why can't you build it yourself? And he said, because of Maul. And the way that he reacted was like, yeah, that's his daughter. Um, but I guess that they got, all three probably got close off of, like, just uh, dream sharing and all of that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just how depressed he looked after was... Was like he was uh, her dad, and then like you said, I just started thinking about it for a second. Like, oh, they both have accents, so I guess <laughs> those two clues alone are enough for me to say, yeah, he's Maul's dad, or uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's Maul's dad. dad. <laughs> and so, so like, and so from there, we end up needing a new architect, and so that brings us to little old Elliot Page, formerly known as Ellen Page, um, and her character here. I do love 
I've always loved this whole like test he gives her. <laughs> it's like yeah, they're like draw a maze. All right, draw another one. <laughs> Do it again, and then she draws a circle, and he's like, "Great, you're hired." <laughs> uh, I also saw where that apparently reflects to the uh, Christopher Nolan's production company, uh, Syncopy. Oh yes, um, it looks a lot like that. So could have been a, a self reference with that. Yeah. So what do you think about this character here, our architect? Um very interesting from the get-go i mean i think it was because the way that they were introduced with the whole um like you said the the maze and then we're cutting into i think maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie and it's like a meme from it but now that i like just tried to watch it with fresh eyes um the scene where it looks like they're at a, a little corner restaurant in paris and um all the explosions start happening. Yeah. The dream unravels, but those explosions, I was just like, visually, this is beautiful, but also at the same time that this just isn't like, it is imaginary, but it feels so real at the same time. That's where I talked about. No one had like the room to be creative and do things that you can't really do in a regular movie without there having to be some explanation with this. It was just like, Oh, we're in a dream and you're, still fascinated and uh and invested in it like that's something i thought about in this movie is that i I don't know if you've ever heard the same thing but at least like when you're what you're taught in screenwriting a lot of the time (laughs) that one of the the just unwritten rules and even for i guess stories in general don't make it to where it was all a dream like they talk about with harry potter where he wakes up underneath the uh, back in the Dursley's house or it was a story that he wrote and it was all in his imagination. Like that is a thing that ticks a lot of people off. Um, and they think it's just cheap, but no one does it in this movie <laughs> and does it so intelligently that you're just like, Did, can we really say like that is a rule? It's almost like he said like, okay, you, you say I can't do that. I'm going to give you a very interesting take on doing it and make it all feel like just like any other movie as far as, it's just as um, valid as any other story that you could tell, I think, and maybe even better. Um, anyways, I just thought that was a whole funny thought when I was watching it. Like, I was always told in my screenwriting class, don't don't make it a dream. I was like, well, Nolan did it. Yeah, <laughs> he made a whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and did it really well. One of the most respected <laughs> movies of all time. Well, I think you can. You just have to be very <laughs> incredibly original and creative with it. So far, only two people. Have successfully done it, Wes Craven and Christopher Nolan. I may be, I don't know. We'll see how this Nicolas Cage movie is. I'm about to say dream scenario could be really good. <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to it. So uh, from, uh, but yeah, introduced the architect was was really good. I mean, the, the uh, one more thing too. After yeah. that whole scene uh, with all the explosions, they go from like fast motion to slow motion real fast, and just how visually pleasing that was. Uh, of course, the flipping of the world on itself, also iconic. Iconic. Uh, but the mirrors is what I loved. I actually had something like that in my house growing up. Oh, really? Where there were mirrors on either wall. So, yeah, I could see, like, an infinite amount of myself pretty much. Um, and just that whole shot and the breaking of the glass and, like, a whole new world being created behind it. Uh, of course, that's when we're introduced to the idea of memories. Like, and not basing it off memories, but... Um, yeah, never. there was just a cool introduction and the way that he says like after uh, she gets really mad about him uh, Maul popping up in the dream 
and being terrifying. And he's like, oh, <laughs> she'll be back. Don't worry. It's like she's <clears throat> she's got the bug. I've never seen somebody pick it up uh, quicker than she has. So I just thought, uh, I don't, again, it was like a natural fluid thing. <clears throat> it wasn't like they were making some big deal out of it, but it wasn't lame either. It was just like, oh, they've got an architect now. That's cool. And there were some really awesome scenes to introduce them. Yeah, the whole sequence is great. I love just them describing like the, the the conscious and how they were, you know, how they act as like white blood cells. So automatically they're gonna try and protect the person's mind from invaders. And I like the glass shattering and then the whole bridge thing. When it comes to the uh the part that makes me laugh every single time is like when he's like, you know, uh explaining how dreams work and he's like, Well, you know, how do you know if you're you're in a dream? Well, well, you know, think about it. How'd you get here? She's like, what? We were... And then she starts, like, freaking out. I'm like... Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I get... It's a cool reveal, but, like, if you didn't want her to freak out, <laughs> don't tell her she's in a dream, but then tell her... Like, <laughs> Again, that's my favorite thing to do, apparently. Anytime we're in a dream, it's like, hey, you know we're in a dream, right? Like, no. Why would you tell me that? And then when she wakes up, he's like, yeah, glass hitting you in the face, pain still operates the same. You just can't be killed. Which is so true. And and real quick side note, like I've had that happen in the past where I've been like stabbed or shot in Dude. a dream. And I don't know what it's like, like to be shot, but I almost feel like in the dream, like my mind has, has come up with a perfect like pain that it would feel like. Uh, not just like a vague idea. It's like, I almost feel like I have been shot before because I felt it. It's so weird how that works. Dude, same here. I've had multiple dreams where I can't, cause I just watch a lot of horror movies, and, but I've had like, there was one particular back in like 2016 where it really shook me where it was like, I, I don't, I was like, like at my, uh, I was at a high school and it was just, you're, basic scenario of like teens running from killer and for some reason i got stabbed and i got stabbed right in like on the right side of my uh like lower abdomen like on my real like hip maybe no like close to the ribs and i remember just like jolting awake and being like ow god damn ow and i was like holding i remember like feeling like my skin being punctured and i was like what is happening <laughs> And I will never forget that. But yeah, I just love the fact that like pain still works. But you know, if you take yourself out, you may or may not wake up. <laughs> yeah, and the fact again, it's like pain still works, and for things that you've never had happen to you, but it's gonna feel like it's happening at the same time. It's weird. And then yeah, like you were saying, when she like gets pissed off about meeting Mal, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt just ah, oh, so you've met Mrs. Cobb. <laughs> yeah, she's like ooh. I, I did kind of crack up at how, like, uh, surprised she was that, like, oh, Cobb's wife's dead? Because she was like, yeah. you know, uh, they're divorced, right? Like, his ex-wife, he's like, no, they're not divorced. Like, oh, they're still together? It's like, no, she died. And she's like, what? Like, well, that's that's an option. Like, yeah, it's not the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's not right. the craziest thing going on in this movie, right? right? You were just inside two people's heads. Yeah, she just acts so surprised by that one fact. I kind of cracked up. I think. And in my mind, I was like, is that for the audience? Because you've already pretty much said that she's dead. Like between the Michael Caine scene and the scene with his kids, which I just have to say real fast. Yeah. I want to get go ahead and get to this because I need a second opinion. Uh, he has the vision of his kids out in the yard when the from the first time of that phone conversation with them. At the yeah. Beginning. 
And then when he talks uh, to, I, I will never be able to pronounce her name. Uh, in the, in Ariadne. The I can't spell it, but I can Ariadne. say it. <laughs> Ariadne. Ariadne. Okay. Um, when he explains to Ariadne about uh, the situation with his kids, he flashes back to, or I think maybe even when Sato tells him about uh, being able to go back home, I can't remember. There's a lot of times where he flashes to that one scene out in the yard. And then we see that at like right before the top at the ending when they're about to turn around finally. So uh, did he just like envision it perfectly? Like what the scene was going to look like? That's the biggest evidence to me that it is all a dream because they're the same age. They're exactly what he imagined clothes and all like in the same lighting. Everything is the same. It's almost like he's seen that before. So when he sees it at the end, it's like, have you just been making this up in your head and it was perfect? Or was that like a illustration of your vision? I don't know. That was the most confusing part. And I've always kind of felt like before, no, he was awake. And now when I watched it, I'm like, that one fact alone makes me feel like he wasn't a dream. I know it's getting into bigger stuff. but Yeah. Because my mind immediately went to, were the kids wearing the same outfit at the end? I guess they were. They were same, I mean, same look, same poses, same, like, it was the same shot. I mean, shot for shot, and it yeah. was just, I don't know. Again, see, now I need to, like, I would need to, like, scrub through the movie. My thing is this, I, I wrote, like, pretty early on my notes. I'm going to take everything, I always take everything that they give us from when we're introduced to Cobb all the way, I don't start questioning things until we get into the... Uh, until we get to the the ride of the trauma elevator, um, until that point, I take everything as face value. I take there's a real there's a real world that we are seeing that we are in that we are operating in, and then there's the dream stuff. It doesn't start blending for me until we get to the elevator stuff, and then I'm like, oh right, this is where it starts to blur for me. Um, and then the ending again, it's very debatable. I. I just keep going to the fact that I think the end is him in the real world. I, I, I subscribe to the fact that he is out, that he went home finally. But, you know, again, I do count that whole the top thing being as like a warning as if like he's in the real world. But, you know, everything that was promised to him may not be what he got. If that makes well, sense. I think of it more too that the fact that he's lived so much in the dream world, and there's so many times during the movie where he's spinning the top, like we talked about after the first time he's fully sedated, yeah, and he's trying to figure out am I in the real world or not, and the top falls over. So I think it was more like that in that moment, Cobb does not know <laughs> if he's in the real world or not, and that was kind of shown a little bit in his reaction on the plane. Yeah. He's still finding it all hard to believe and all the flashes like leading to his family feeling almost like dreamlike. But um, I, I don't think Cobb know. And, and even if the top falls over, like I don't think Cobb ever really feels like he's so just distant and disconnected from reality yeah. that um, I don't think he even knows what is real anymore. And I, I think that's similar to how the audience feels at the end. It's like, I d- it is an I don't know at the end of the day, <laughs> and that's what Cobb exactly feels. Because, um, I mean, especially by the end of the movie, you're like, who knows? I mean, and again, like going back to, I do believe that there is a real world that he was operating in 
but I don't know. Like, what if Maul was right? Is my question. Too. Right. Like when she jumps off, like were they actually in a dream, and he just didn't believe it? And yeah, I uh, remember he woke up and he never did. I don't know. <laughs> like, there's so many different ways that you could see it. Yeah, I remember a lot of like theories online was like, yeah, no, Leonardo Cobb Cobb was just sitting in a, like a hospital bed somewhere. Just, they're just waiting for him to get. <laughs> He's in a coma. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, you don't really know. I mean, he could have been stuck in limbo. I, mean, I don't know. Uh, I want to run down some of the characters, but another thing I want to bring up here, something that I thought about after I watched it for this episode. <laughs> this, the, I feel like this goes into why I like this movie so much. This movie reminds me a lot of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. <laughs> Seen all of that, actually, yeah. Yeah, like the way they explain things, the way the world works, and again, you know, we're going off of. How that series, I mean, it can be both the original series and Brotherhood. I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank on which did which. But, you know, the whole idea of, like, they have to cross the gate and that brings you, on the other side, you get, you know, everything you kind of put in. Same thing with the whole dream world here. I think by the end of both series, you're asking yourself, well, did they winning, did, you know, did they, oh, dang, what am I, what was I trying to say? Again, did they did they cross the gate and are they in a real reality or not? And then here is kind of the same deal with the whole dream thing. But again, I think mostly it's just the way the characters and the rules are set up. It just reminds me a lot of Full Metal because the the rules of Full Metal are very very specific and are very and explained really fast. <laughs> and same thing happens here. And so I just kept thinking about Full Metal Alchemist while watching it for this time, and I was like, ah, I'm getting some some similarities here. Well, one thing you uh, brought up on a whole different topic but from before, and I think might be my favorite part of the whole movie that I picked up on myself, and it just kind of blew my mind, but you talked about the trauma elevator. Yeah, trauma elevator. Yeah, which I think is a perfect way to put it. Ariadne? Ariadne. Ariadne. Such a weird name. Yeah, I just want to call it. Just Ari is what I'm going to go with for now on, and I may even forget that. But when uh, she's going down, like when she leaves Cobb behind, I guess on the third to last floor, uh, and she's going to the basement, um, in the elevator scene, the, the floor that she passes over in between is a quick shot of a train. Train, yeah, put that in my <laughs> Which, uh, I thought about it, I was like, okay, so when you think about it, like, chronologically, um, Leo, I keep saying Leo, but Cobb got Maul out of limbo with the train, right? Yeah. And that of what he did to save her and both of them eventually leads to her death. Well, literally on the train physically, he goes from the train, uh, or on the elevator, goes from the train shot and that leads to Maul in their hotel room where she ends up killing herself. Yeah. So the way that it was played out there was the same way that it played out for Cobb as far as train and limbo leading to her death. It was the same thing that Harry saw when she went down from one floor to the next. I just thought that was kind of neat how that was built within his dream and also how it went down again, like linearly in his life and the, and the events that led to the other. I just thought like that whole little two second thing of just showing the train and then going to the hotel room. I was like, there's so much just in that, uh, 
that's genius, I think. Yeah, the whole like mechanism of the elevator is well. Number one, it's straight from. So I don't know if you know, but we before this episode we did a movie called uh, Paprika, which is the kind of like anime. A lot of it it was influence for Inception, and so a lot of concepts are in that movie. So the the trauma elevator, the dream elevator, is also in Paprika, and it they kind of do the same kind of thing with the sequences of the dreams. Um, and that move that movie also has a big theme about you know a meta theme about movies as well. And so yeah, when you were bringing up you're talking about the whole train thing here, uh, it it yeah it's pretty much storyboarding. It's it's a sequence of events <laughs> for Cobb, um, yeah. and I like that a lot. But also, yeah, visually, too, on the storyboard. It's like, this is what happened to him story-wise. This thing led to that thing. But also, as we're passing through the floors, that train that comes before you know, the hotel room. I don't know. It's like, again, being so meta and almost having like double and triple entendres as far as the storytelling goes. And that's <clears throat> that's not common, I guess, for films at all. So. All right. Um. So we get more of the crew. We get Tom Hardy as Eames, or <laughs> I put Eames, but it's Eames because it's spelled with an E. Um. <laughs> and he's basically just the master of disguise. He's and then after that, he through him and a very big ass like <laughs> street chase, <laughs> we get the chemist, which is Yusuf, who provides the sedative and how they go under. I didn't know it was supposed to be like a specific formula in order for their dreaming to work. Yeah, but that was like cool. That's what I would assume. Something and, like heroin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. But yeah, <laughs> pretty much, yeah, it would have to be. I was thinking more like dentist stuff, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I went too far. Uh, yeah, anyways, continue. Yeah, and then, um, which was a cool street chase. And then uh, I'm trying to, I think that rounds out most of the, the team, though, right? Yeah, because after that, Sato... <laughs> Sato joins for reasons. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, I want to tag along and see for myself, I guess. And so, um, just to kind of like lump it all here, because we are running a little long. Uh, how do you feel about the rest of the team here? I know, I know you said Tom Hardy's one of your favorite actors. How'd yeah, like you, you said, about... Joseph Gordon-Levitt was awesome and like a good comedic relief, and I felt that most between him and Eames. Uh, one of the things I loved is when, uh, Cobb goes to recruit Eames and he talks about uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character and how he uh, very reliable, you know, good dude just lacks in creativity because they were talking about, you know, he yeah. said it's impossible to do an exception. And I love how later on when they're in the dream and Joseph Gordon-Levitt shooting the people on the roof and Eames, Tom Hardy's character just says you've got to you know, dream a bit, bit, bit bigger, darling. I think is what he says. Yes. And then shoots a grenade launcher at the roof. It kind of calls back to earlier when he was saying he was lacking in imagination. It's like dream bigger. Is what he tells them later on. So I like their dynamic a whole lot. Um, I still think Tom Hardy makes so much of an impression for what little screen time he kind of had. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think every kind of actor, top to bottom, for me, did a great job. I mean, Killian Murphy and even his dad, who has like you know hardly a line <laughs> um the guy that was playing his godfather slash uncle i guess is what he called him yeah uh, very memorable type of suit but uh but yeah i mean i think sato like ken watanabe does just doesn't miss even if he's in something bad he's very entertaining of an actor 
I loved him in the creator this year, by the way. Oh, he's in on that. Yeah. Yeah. He plays a pretty pivotal role in that. Um, he, yeah, does a great job, but, uh, anyways, yeah, just as far as the whole cast goes, um, the people that played them, I think all did wonderful. And, um, what you were kind of referencing to each of their, um, I guess how they, each of them individually fit onto the team and their own purposes, I think is, uh, they all complement each other really well, even though everything goes disastrous constantly. I don't really think it's because of that, but, um, but yeah, no characters were, were great. I still think Cobb's got to be the best just because he has the most drama to himself and his backstory and the most at stake. I mean, when you think about it, it's like he's recruiting all these people just so he can get back home. It's like, they don't really even question it. Like, yeah. hey, this could kill us all. Or, you know, what are the dangers here? He's just like, Hey, I'm trying to get back home. Just join me. <laughs> and like, all right. Well, yeah, sounds good. We got nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Suicide mission. That's supposed to be impossible. Why are we doing this? How much am I getting paid? No, I don't care about any of that. You're trying to get home to your kids. All right. All right. Um, another thing is <laughs> one little like detail, just kind of jumping around here, but like with Yusuf, the chemist, I love how he joins them. And so he's he's in charge of the first dream, and it's raining because he had the champagne, and so he had to pee. I just love that detail. Yeah. It, it makes me laugh every time. It's like You couldn't have peed before you went under. <laughs> I thought about this. <laughs> just bringing back uh, you that water talking about Sato, You're also talking about Sato being a boss whenever they talk about paying off the, the uh, pilot. For yeah. The, private jet and he's like yeah instead i just bought the whole company figured it'd be cleaner i was like wow this dude's just endless supply of money yes um, and even when they like get uh fisher under <laughs> the, the flight attendant's like all right all clear and gets the briefcase out for them i was like okay yeah so the whole flight's on it in on it that's cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah love uh, that yeah no like i said i, I think uh Characters are great. Cast is great. I can't have any uh, complaints at all as far as that goes from, from really top to bottom. All right. So um, just because we kind of need to end soon, uh, let's kind of zero in on just the Inception itself, just the three levels of the dreams, and then we'll head into recommends. We've kind of talked about the ending, so I feel like we, we don't really need to cover it as much, but I do want to well, talk the- about – well, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say the very, very ending in the credits, uh, the title flashes three times also in oh. the credits. So something okay. going back to numbers again, numerology with the threes, but go ahead. Sorry. No, I didn't see that. Okay. But yeah, no, we're just going to talk about the, 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 the main levels and how we like that. And then we'll go ahead and get into recommend. So like I said, the first level <laughs> Yusuf has to pee. So it's raining. And so this here screamed out to me, you know, it's no secret, um, but if you watch enough Christopher Nolan movies, you realize he really loves Michael Mann, and he really loves Heat, and I really love Michael Mann, and I really love Heat. Heat's one of my favorite, like, crime movies, and so we pretty much get a recreation of, like, the main sequence of the failed um, robbery attempt in that movie, and here he he recreated it in The Dark Knight, and um, kind of sort of did it in Tenet, but here I think this is kind of more forward re redo of of the failed robbery attempt that turns into like a big street fight he just adds a car chase to it and a giant train and i love it i love this whole 
aspect of the scene and just i have a thing about trains i think trains are cool as like weapons <laughs> and so you just plow a giant freight train through the street of some somewhere i i'm hooked i, I love it i think we should get more of the train but uh, i love this whole little this first level here i thought was a really cool way of introducing us into the the dreamscape if you will and then that turning into this like hostage situation was really cool what'd you what'd you think about this first level uh yeah, I thought it was really cool. I mean, it, it seems like they're all kind of unstable at the end of the day. Um, it did feel like the closer they got to reality, um, maybe the more they were going to realize it, or I don't know, stuff was going wrong, so maybe they just realized they were in a dream more. Uh, it was hard to say, but I thought the whole idea of the different levels was really cool, and again, being introduced naturally at the beginning with Sato, um, uh, being at the the palace that he was at, and then cutting to the indoor of the apartment, and then finally waking back up in reality. So it felt very natural, uh, interesting how time was working differently in each one. Uh, but yeah, I still think I still think the idea of limbo was my favorite part, which I guess would be like <laughs> the fourth level. Yes, yeah, like uh, the fourth, or the underground basement level. Um, but uh, I think because like up until the point that Limbo is mentioned, uh, I guess when Sato gets shot in that dream, yeah, um, it seems like it's all kind of like what's what's the worst that could happen here is what you're thinking. It's like they don't succeed, Kai doesn't get to go home, you know, but they all make it out okay. Um, but when that was brought up, and then. First of all, to make give it a lot more weight whenever they are in the dream, make it seem like it's just as important as the real world, um, was a uh, really interesting. Sorry, I'm losing train of thought here. Train. God, I just blanked completely, man. I'm so sorry. You're good. Uh, I I I've been agreeing with you though. Uh... I think my favorite scene in this movie is when, sh like, after Sato gets shot, until they start explaining. Like, I listen, like, we're in the third act of yeah. the movie, and now here's this big thing that's like, here's the big stake of it all. Like, Limbo is real. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we Limbo won't... being real, being the big, like, uh, threat to them. Yeah. Uh, but also, at the same time, as they're doing that, it's giving Cobb and his wife more backstory. It's like, he's the only one that's been through Limbo that we know of in existence. And um, he kind of died and came back from hell sort of thing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I thought that was cool how they did that. They re they give you the stakes and at the same time give you some backstory, more backstory on Kyle that makes him even more interesting all at the same time and explains the train thing. Like, again, does so many things at once is what's so <laughs> impressive, I think, about the movie and the way that it executes and introduces different concepts. It's like, it almost is giving you three for ones on everything. It's like, hey, there's levels to this shit. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah. All right. Yeah, which brings us to level two, the Charles method. So this is the hotel, and this is supposed to be Arthur's dream, if I'm correct. Which is what I really liked how you brought up the fact that, like, you know, between him and Ames, it's just how he's uncreative he is. And so the big, like, turning point for him is that he has to get creative. He has to bunch them all up into the elevator so they can drop properly when when the gravity goes out. <laughs> yeah. 
and he does end up becoming creative while also be just having one of the most badass like hallway fights ever i was gonna say like that scene alone like that's another one you could argue is the best scene in the movie and best shot because also how like all the practical effects that they have in this movie alone is like insane uh, but the way, it, looking at just the behind the scenes of that hallway scene, I think that's probably inspired so many people to get more into the behind the scenes of filmmaking because it, it really is just like mind blowing how he did that. Like, again, testing his limits and just going, uh, dude, with his with his own imagination. But I mean, I just thought that hallway scene was incredible. Dude, no lie. I used to just watch that like section of the like <laughs> on YouTube. I would just look at the behind the scenes of the hallway fight. I would just be like, yes, like I need to know more about how they did this and just watch that and over I, and over. I think Joseph Gordon Levitt also did like all of his stunts on that, I believe. Oh, yeah, he's a big stunt one. guy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, level two. Um... Oh, excuse me. Level two was. um was really interesting as well i mean again it seemed like uh i don't know in a way like things were becoming more and more unstable i think it's because they were stacking things on top of each other but yeah. it seemed like a little more safe but i guess that's when he uh, when Cobb really wins over fisher's trust was in the second level uh just some cool little sequences the funny little throwaway of um is an arthur is um joseph gordon levitt's yeah character him and uh i'll just keep calling her airy uh when he said you know like let's do a, do a distraction hurry up let's kiss and then yeah. he for like a second and she's like it didn't work he's like oh, it was worth a shot uh it was kind of like an old school type of thing that yeah. was just kind of funny in the moment like the first time i saw it now i kind of rolled my eyes but i'm like very bummed yeah yeah pretty smooth with him um and him being so stable compared to to uh to Cobb, but um but yeah not not the most interesting setting per se but there was a lot going on and like in winning fisher over and playing like toying with his mind and hey and again, uh, i love Tom a Hardy. good hotel thriller so it was great yeah. it's probably my favorite out of the three or out of the four because if we're counting limbo i think level two is my favorite just for as far as setting goes like i love the action in the first one but level two I'm like, I, I, it's a nice looking hotel. I, I, I'd chill here for a bit. <laughs> yeah, it did feel like they were exploring it more than the other place, like the other, uh, yeah, places they went to. All right, and then so we get to Eames, which is surprising. So he gets the the uh the the snow fortress is what I put down. This thing looks so cool, but I had so many Call of Duty flashbacks <laughs> <laughs> and like battlefield and stuff. Dude, yes. <laughs> It uh, it definitely looked awesome, and like the trivia fact said that like it was something out of an old Bond flick. Uh, I think that was actually a real place, I believe, in Germany or somewhere. I, I believe it. it up at yeah. one point, but uh, uh, yeah, it was beautiful. I think their their costume, like design, and all that scene is really awesome, and just the, I don't know, I guess the change in environment completely from what we've seen. And also the stakes that were introduced there with, you know, Sato pretty much dying as well as uh, <laughs> yes. Fisher was going to die. And then the whole idea of well, let's go deeper and kick them to bring them back up to this world or this level. Um, even though he's dying now, we're basically be like restarting him here. Right. Uh, 
there was just a lot of I guess that's where it was getting down to the the nitty gritty and uh, uh, yeah anyway so yeah I, I enjoyed that level a whole lot as far as the snow level like you said the location of it but also the way everybody looked and what was going on in the story I think was it was all kind of starting to come to a head or lead towards your ending yeah man it's it's still cool and just uh i think here's where they ramp up the time because again like sato's kind of like keeling over (laughs) and he's like all right guys i'm starting to really feel this whole death thing (laughs) and so uh it does like it does kind of lose me around here but again because the plots are kind of like happening simultaneously it does ramp up the energy like it rims it right back up after they get done explaining how the third dream is going to work but like from here like you know yusuf is doing another car chase and trying to get to the kick and then same thing happening at the hotel with uh arthur and then here they just gotta like they're all kind of working together i do love every i do like the reaction killian murphy has when he wakes up in a new outfit i thought that was pretty like a nice subtle detail when he's like in the snow outfit he's like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) and so they get to like the big safe and that's where shit goes wrong and so mal does end up being this like super ninja and shows up and so she shoots uh fisher right uh yes and then yeah he's unable to like shoot her in time and so like you were saying they have to go get him out of limbo and kick him back up and everybody else is going to ride the wave back but sato ends up staying behind from what i remember yes i know it was late at night because i just watched this movie like a few hours ago (laughs) i was gonna say i'm like passing out (laughs) yeah so yeah so then again it kind of loops back around with uh Basically, Cobb has to confront his wife, and then he has to not only get Fisher, but he has to kind of make things right with Sato. And then everyone gets the the kick back up when this really great operatic scene of like going the mountain blowing up, and that brings them back. And then the hotel uh, regaining gravity, and that brings them back. And then the it's kind of one by one. Yeah, just a really cool domino effect, and like a, I'm looking at this like ending and i'm like star wars you can suck it because this is awesome (laughs) you know star wars is famous for having these layered endings these layered climaxes but like this one here takes takes it all so yeah and then it brings them right back up on (laughs) and everything's okay almost (laughs) (laughs) almost okay um i do like the final conversation with sato and uh cobb um, I don't remember too much about it right now, but I I just I them just at the table and then be like, oh yeah, yeah, it went right back to the beginning where we were talking about knowing somebody uh, yeah, from a long yeah, time yeah. ago in a half dream uh, that he met with that top, and then he's uh, I just love Cobb trying to remember what he he's like. I know I was supposed to talk to you and tell you something, but yeah. I can't remember. Like he's been in the dream for so long, um, but then he just slowly starts to remember. Like I was supposed to retrieve you you know yeah. make sure you know that this is a dream and then we can make it out of here and whatever so it was like a a final hail mary i guess after being like stuck in hotel california for so long i guess like when you're just like hey i don't think we're supposed to be here um <laughs> just like that uh interaction between them and that apparently you know bringing them back which they both like both ken watanabe and 
Uh, Leo played that scene perfectly again when they wake up on the plane because it's like no telling how long they've been down there right. and are just now getting back. And to everybody else, it seems like seconds, but to them, they've probably got to be like, we've been down there so long. I forgot this reality existed pretty much, like that we were even doing any of this at all. Um, and trying to remember all that or all the memories coming flooding back, it's got to be a uh, pretty intense. And I thought they both played that uh, really well. Indeed. So, with that being said, Canon, do you recommend Inception? A hundred percent. If you've never seen it before, uh, and I can understand it can be a little bit intimidating as far as the pacing goes, and also, again, the wide open ending. To feel like you have to watch it again, but uh, I feel like it's it's got its own merits for the first watch, for a you know second rewatch to try to understand it, and even now, like that's my third one. Um, and I'm picking apart all types of things in this movie. I uh, <laughs> think it can be mind-blowing and entertaining for everybody. And uh, also with a whole lot of hitting, hidden stuff to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I would highly recommend in, um, Inception and even any other Nolan movies that you've never seen before. Um, watch them all. <laughs> yeah, watch them all pretty much because it's hard to be disappointed by this man. And, uh, yeah, I do, I, I do think in a way, I mean, Inception is like him at the top of his game and, uh, being able to finally, uh, unleash a lot of that, you know, creativity that's been building up for, you know, better part of the two thousands for him to make that movie. Um, so yeah, I feel like he's, uh, kind of Nolan unleashed, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, doing things that you've never really, you may have seen in films before. I'm not saying a lot of stuff had never been done. It was just in the way that it was introduced or executed that just felt like on another level. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a movie that I think could, is definitely a polarizing one at times. Some people could say it's Nolan's worst, like their least favorite out of his. And, yeah. I, you know, I could see where they're coming from. I uh, lean more towards if it had to be worse or best, I lean towards it being the best. But I think there's a, a lot of homework that has to go into it, or a lot of thought. Like, it's not one you can turn your brain off to and yeah. just watch, like what you were talking about with Tenant in the background. Like, this movie uh, requires a lot of time and energy um, in, in itself. But I think it sparks some great conversations. I mean, especially the argument with the with the ending being the most famous thing. But I think there's so much to take out of this movie that. Uh, it's definitely worth the watch and is feels a lot faster than its runtime, in my opinion as well, which I always think is a good compliment. Yeah, that is something I noticed. Like I upon rewatches I do feel the length, especially towards the end. But like I tell you well, like I told uh you earlier, like the once they like once they get done explaining how the third dream works we start getting that three tier climax, it's like, all right, it the, it's picking up again. And so uh you're right. The the, the runtime you feel it, but also it's it's it it does well. So that's great. Yeah. Um, obviously I recommend it. It remains one of my favorite movies of all time. Like it's definitely in the top ten. Um, I always recommend this peop this this movie to people. It's it's great. It remains great. It remains a great conversation starter. We didn't even get to we didn't get into 
a lot, uh, not even, I think we only got to like half of what's in this movie in this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, there's say, so much we more. <laughs> yeah. We could honestly do like a part two or a, a little bonus yeah. featurette with an extra 45 minutes at least of us talking about this. Well, yeah. Overall, this movie is great. Um, still, I it, it remains one of the best for me. So definitely check this movie out. It's a high recommend for me. Um, with that being said, Cannon, thank you for not only doing this episode, but for just being on the Murder Board podcast. It's been great. No, I appreciate it as well, and I appreciate you uh, having me on despite my almost being like, I've been like half asleep myself for half yeah. I even told you before the like, uh, the episode began, I was like, I'm in a bit of an inception myself, and I was halfway <laughs> joking, but most mostly I was serious, really. I was like, I'm entering a dream state, so... uh it's been an interesting one as always and memorable. And uh, like you said, I wish we could talk about it for longer. Maybe we shouldn't have, <laughs> like we said, I said from the get go, we're going to have to rein each other in because uh, yeah. we could talk about everything under the sun and then, you know, get to, Oh, we only have 10 minutes to talk about the movie. Well, I guess let's talk about the thing we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, it's been very enjoyable and I appreciate you having me on for this episode and just in general. And uh, yeah, thanks to everybody for listening too. All right, it's yeah. our tired asses rant yeah <laughs> it's very late for us people but uh it's been this has been a fun one i can already tell i'm gonna have a lot of fun editing this one as long as it may be but either way thank you guys for listening uh for another episode we're pretty much almost done with season five now so we're going from you know pretentious dream extraction to prom <laughs> we're going to prom <laughs> so uh we after this episode we kick off the final episodes with a lot of Stephen King starting with Carrie not just one but two movies in one episode we're doing Carrie the original Brian De Palma movie and then we're also doing the 2013 remake I know Carrie has like three other remakes out there but those are the two I want to focus on and so that's what we're going to do and then in that episode I'll explain all the other uh Stephen King movies we will be doing leading up to the end whatever end episode ends up being the end will be our 200th episode which will end season 5 oh, wow. with. I know congratulations and yeah, it's been a long time thanks man but this is it's been a lot of episodes we put out there can i just say too uh, underrated Stephen King uh movie yeah. uh, Shawshank Redemption Shawshank. Ooh, I have not watched Shawshank. 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 I have not watched that one in so long, but it's I'm most underrated. Like, I was going to say, well, I mean, it's a super beloved movie, but I think it's just the fact. What is underrated to me is that almost nobody knows that Stephen King wrote that novel, I feel like. He's so <laughs> known for like all of his horror and stuff. It's like when you watch Shawshank Redemption and you're told afterwards, oh, yeah, that was based on a novel by Stephen King. They just go, What? That doesn't even make sense. Like, it's just so funny because even in the yeah. horror, it gets referenced a lot. Like Shawshank is a place in a lot of the books, so uh-huh. it, gets, it gets referenced a lot. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, like I know in, in Doctor Sleep they reference it, and even I'm reading a book right now. I'm reading. I'm reading Needful Things. They've mentioned Shawshank so many times because it's, it's That's in, crazy. I never it's in that. Castle Rock. So yeah. All right. Um. Well, with that being said, guys, thank you for listening. We'll catch you again on the murder board. But until then, did you know that you were dreaming? That kind of scared me a little bit because I, I had to question, am I dreaming right now?